0: Uh, hello, lovely people. We are live and I have my uh, coffee. It is uh, just gone 10.30am on the sunny Gold Coast. And who was at my front door? A Ding dong. No other than uh, Mr. Jeff Schroeder. Hey, Jeff. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> hello and welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, good morning to you. Man, um, so you're in LA, yeah? Oh, Yeah. I'm um, li- li- living, the, living the dream out here. Living the dream in LA. Man, <laughs> I'm going to say that the vast majority of my guests seem to be LA-based. It seems to be the place to, to be living. Are you originally from LA? Uh, I, I
1: am. I am. I'm from, well, the suburbs. You know, I like, I mean, on a good day, I can get to where I grew up in 35, 40 minutes. So not, oh, cool. not too far. Yeah. Yeah. So I was w- within striking distance. You know. So, you, you, you think, know... You know okay. the easy
0: way to get around everywhere. You know all the back streets and. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, it, um, I had a small window of time where I lived in Chicago, about seven years. You know, you know, and um, and you know, there's really only really one main highway that goes through, you know, that goes through the city of Chicago. Like you know, um, out here we call them in California we call them freeways because they used to be free in most of them still kind of are but you know in other parts of the country there's tolls and whatnot so they never call it so when you move somewhere else and you call it the freeway people are like what do you mean the freeway it's the highway but you know, but out here in california i mean there's it's in la there's a in a crazy amount of of freeway of highways you know that you know that you can take and so i uh, you know the show in the US that you, you know that you know is obviously uh, globally popular, Saturday Night Live. They used to have a skit where there's just two like LA people hanging out, and all they do is talk about how they got somewhere. I, you know, I took the 10 freeway <laughs> to the 405, to the 101, to the 172. You know, they yeah, do, and yeah. they like, oh, really? I took because <laughs> I mean, because it's so ridiculously crazy,
0: man. <laughs> I've realized recently that like if you use Google Maps or, um, Apple Maps or something on your phone, some of the crazy ways that it tries to take you to places is ridiculous. There's, there's a place. Um, so I'm on the Gold Coast, which is about an hour south of Brisbane. Um, and oh, there's, a, oh yeah. there's a, um, a guitar store called the Pedal Empire in in Brisbane. And I swear, every time I put that in there, the way it takes me, I, I have no idea where it is. It takes me through all these suburbs. And then I end up on this main road. And it's just off this main road. I think why the hell did you take me that way? Like, I have no idea how I got here. If only you just took me that yeah. way. Did we save 30 seconds? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Jeff.
1: But 30, you saved 30 seconds, but you you know maybe had all that stress instead of just going down
0: one straight shot, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Jeff, we're all guitar nerds here and loving it. <laughs> what started <laughs> the love affair for the electric guitar for you, mate?
1: Um, well, I was born in 1974. So you can imagine. Um, And I have a brother who's eight years older than me. So in 1974, you know, he was he was, um, you know, he was born in 66. So by the time I was like, whatever, you know, 80 or something was we like, like, four or five, you know, able to kind of start per- perceiving things. You can imagine what the musical climate was for rock and roll at the time so i grew up in a house where i mean well number one i mean our house was a shrine to kiss so my brother was a massive massive kiss fan so growing up posters on the wall all the records i mean i have pictures of me as a little kid the makeup you know i didn't even know who they were. I just, you know, my brother would paint the makeup on me and all that kind of stuff. So I was very much into KISS, but it was also KISS, Zeppelin, UFO, um, even more like, you know, I realized now like stranger things, like new wave of British heavy metals stuff like the Tigers of Pantang, Tang. And um, so I grew up, grew up with, with that sound. And I was, and Ace Freely was always my favorite member of KISS. So just, that image of him with the Les Paul, you know, it just was ingrained in my mind. So I, I, I just always loved it. And then by the time I really started getting old enough to really love music myself, when, you know, you're like eight, nine, ten, it's like 82, 83, um, music videos started getting really big. And that was really the explosion of of hard rock bands like Quiet Riot, you know, Rat. um, And who else? I mean, who else was it? Def Leppard was really, you know, exploding in California, you know, at that time, the, all those videos. Right. And so I just fell in love with that sound.
0: Cool. It still do.
1: Yeah. You know yeah what I mean, it's still yeah. like, I still love that, 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 that to me, I just love the sound of guitar from that era.
0: Absolutely. It's so we're like so- 78,
1: 78 to 83, 84. That's like, that's just like a great, Great era. For so we're a uh-huh.
0: similar vintage. I'm a 73 myself. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I totally relate to, to that era. It was, yeah, I just grew up hearing so, so much good music on, on the radio. Some of the bands you listed there are stuff that I read about um, in uh, in magazines but never actually heard on the radio here. Our, our playlists, I guess, were a little bit different. But you mentioned Rat. I'd never heard Rat before, and it was only recently, I was driving down the road, and I've had my phone just there, and you got Shazam now, you can go, oh, what's this? And there was this blistering guitar solo, there's so many guys that could play a million miles an hour, but this was really clean, and I was like, yeah, hello, who's that? And did a quick thing, and it was Rat, so I'd heard about Warren Demartini, and um yeah, so I only just heard him for the first time. Although I did see him play with Whitesnake back in the early 90s over here. He was touring with Whitesnake.
1: Oh, that's crazy. He played with Whitesnake?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, geez, early 90s, I'd say. And yeah, I, I think I do
1: remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No, that was in, in LA. I mean, they were an institution. Yeah, cool. And, um, yeah, and I've been lucky enough, you know, in more recent years, while they were still kind of playing, I was finally able to see that with kind of um obviously Robin Crosby, who was the original. Uh, there were two guitar players: Warren D. Martini, Warren D. Martini, Robin Crosby. Robin Crosby died in the '90s, probably. Um, but Carlos cavazzo from Quiet Riot was playing guitar, and it was oh man, it was incredible. So good. They were so they were so good. Like it was just guitar heaven.
0: Yeah. 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 So so going back to the um to the seventies there, um w- when did you actually pick up the guitar and start having a bit of a, a fiddle with it all?
1: I think, you know, around eighty three or something, I got an acoustic guitar, a harmony, yeah. a little small, you know, three quarter size acoustic, which I still have, you know, and um somewhere. It's in the, my brother it's actually at my brother's house, but it's still in the family. We still have it. And um yeah, so I banged around that for a while, and I remember it—you know—it was a harmony, and it came with a little pamphlet inside, and it showed you how to play like maybe three chords: you cool, know, G, C, and D, and maybe like an E minor chord. You know, you could kind of strum and um, one pick. You know, and save that pick for <laughs> you know had I mean? yeah, the one pick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and oh, Do you remember what the first song you liked to play was?
1: I don't even think you know. I did so. I couldn't even play a song. I just could play those couple chords and I didn't really understand how to, you know, maybe play a song. Until then I, you know, I graduated and I got an electric guitar and then I started buying magazines with tabs, you know, and uh, I must have learned something else. Um but my brother had a friend that, or somebody he worked with and they came over to the house one day and you know, I was you know, he played guitar and he was like, oh, let me see you play. And so I was trying to play some stuff and I went do these open chords and he goes, oh, let me show you something, you know, i got to play, I'm going to show you a power chord, you know, and this is like 90% of heavy metal just <laughs> uses this. And once he showed me that, I was like, oh, of course, then the light bulb went off and then went along with magazines and tab and stuff. I was able to start learning songs. And I remember the first thing that impressed me you know, my brothers, so that was, he, you know, he left for work one day and then when he came home and then I could kind of hack my way through the intro of crazy's rain. Cool. And, and so that was like, but getting that, like, he was like, Oh my God, I can't believe you can actually, you know, do that. So, um, yeah, that was kind of how it was in the early days.
0: Nice. You know, you mentioned magazines, um, man, that was such a great resource back in the day there to, um, be able to learn, not just songs, but things that led up to the whole craft of being a guitar player and understanding um, signal flow, recording, etc. I have this little story that I, I quite often tell people, and it was when I was in my final year of high school. I was doing film and television as a subject, and um, we had to. I was really good at the practical side of things. I, I recently got diagnosed as having ADHD um, a few years ago, mm-hmm. and it all makes sense now. So they were trying <laughs> yeah. to um, teach us – we had to watch some old movie from the 50s and write a review on it, and I just wasn't interested. So I had my guitar magazines, and I'm, I'm reading that. I can remember my my teacher talking to the class, walking past and grabbing my magazine and ripping it out of my hand. And then he set the task, and he he was over, and he was looking at, at, at the magazine. He came over to me later, and he opened up the page, and it was Craig Anderson's home recording um, section mm-hmm. – which was in Guitar Player, if I remember correctly. Anyway, he's come up to me and he pointed at what I was reading. And he said, Do you understand that? And I said, Yes, I do. And he just looked at me and he said, You keep reading that. That's years ahead of what I'm teaching here. And I just went, Thank you. You get it.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a funny story too about me in high school. And I can't remember. I was, you know, kind of, you know, you get to class and you have a few minutes before it starts. You're just kind of sitting there and waiting. And I, and I, I was doing the same, sitting there. Flipping through at a guitar, you know, at a guitar mag, looking through a guitar magazine. And, and um, my teacher came up to me and he goes, You know, Jeff, there's more to life than a guitar magazine.
0: How <laughs> wrong?
1: I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I was like, No, there's really not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially at the time, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah I, can, I can remember that having the, the high school guidance counselor which we had to go and help us try and choose a career. And they said, what are you going to do? I said, like, oh, I'm going to play music. And she's like, well, no, you need a real job. What are you going to do for a real job? And I've got to say every job I've ever had that's lasted more than two weeks has been somehow related to music. So they were wrong.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. No, it's funny, you know, in, in high school, you, you know, you're supposed to be thinking about going to college and whatnot and, um, I wasn't. The only catalog that I requested was for a GIT, you know, Musicians Institute. I, I was like, I'm going to go to the Guitar Institute of Technology up in Hollywood. <laughs> but I, you know, I didn't end up going. But that was the only. That was the only catalog I requested.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember seeing those ads and um, oh. Billy Sheehan, and it used to say, "You've got to know the rules before you can break them." I remember that ad and yeah, just going, exactly. oh, man. oh my gosh yeah. And then the first time I saw somebody locally that had gone and studied at Musicians Institute, I uh, was a chap named Simon Gardner. And I was still a teenager and I saw him do a clinic and I was like, he, he was doing all the three note per string kind of playing <laughs> legato <laughs> and stuff. And I'd never seen that up close before. I was like, I must go to this place. But um, yeah, there's other ways to learn, isn't there? No, no. Yeah, yeah. And um, but
1: it's funny, you know, because at that time I collected I had at one point I had a subscription to Guitar, guitar for the Practicing Musician, Guitar World. Um, there was Guitar School, if you remember that, too. Um, and I had a subscription to all three of those. Guitar Player, I didn't subscribe because it was, you know, it was actually more rounded. And so I'd be like, Pat Metheny. You know, like what the fuck? Like I don't want <laughs> I mean I don't wanna I don't I, I, who is like one of my favorites now. You know you know, but I you know, you'd see a guitar for they have like Mike Stern on the cover, Pat Mithy, I'd be like, I don't want that, I want the one with Warren D. Martini on the cover or George Lynch or whatever. So
2: yeah. but I
1: had years and years of of those magazines all the way up to the early nineties, which is, you know, when once alternative grunge came kind of ruined that culture anyway, <laughs> you know, a bit. So, and then I stopped subscribe- and I had them and I left them in my parents' garage. And then, you know, but they were like prized possessions of mine. And you know, at one point, my parents, they threw them away, you know, I was so bummed. And so over the last, I don't know, you know, five years. And so I started buying a lot of those old as many of those old issues that I could find on eBay. So I've got quite a collection of like '80s vintage guitar magazines, and it's yeah. so amazing. I mean, the articles and stuff. It's so funny to to go back and, as an adult, to read the interviews at the time, which you know, to me, I mean, I would get those magazines and I would read them. I would just get home from school, and if there was a new magazine in the mail, I would read it from cover to cover, and um, yeah, and. You know and i just soaked it all in and then but to read them now as a, you know how bad you know the, the writing was and, and all that kind of stuff as a kid you didn't you know you didn't really pay attention to that stuff but yeah. what's even more fascinating are just all the
0: ads the ads are incredible yeah all the different
1: companies that don't exist and you know and um
0: yeah yeah i carried around milk crates full of of magazines for many years and i reckon i had those till probably around 2000 ish i don't i don't remember what i did to them whether i gave them away or threw them out but in hindsight i wish i still had them but they were a great did resource work, absolutely worth a lot yeah
1: yeah yeah so much cool stuff in them. yeah so much cool stuff i mean mm-hmm. and so i love them they're like just an interesting you know like kind of cultural archive of of what was taking place in guitar and and not only the magazines, but the video culture, too, instructional videos. And um, were were you, super incredible, too, at the time.
0: Do you remember the sound pages in Guitar Player magazine where it oh, had, yeah, like, a flexible yeah. record? Yeah. I might still yeah, have a yeah. couple of those lying around somewhere. Uh, they were great.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I did have the one with Vi. They had Blue Powder on it, which, mm-hmm. you know, later was on Passion and Warfare. But, yeah, I, I had that one. Cause I did buy that cause he was on the cover. I remember, you know, it's been a little tiny mini guitar, you know, like a toy. That's right. Guitar, I remember. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Also I remember hearing one and I think the back of it had an ad for Carvin featuring Cacophony with Jason Becker and Marty Friedman. And um, I thought it was scratched. I thought there was something wrong with the, uh, <laughs> because it was yeah, just man. this, <laughs> I was like, Oh no, I've, I've scratched it somehow. But no, that was yeah. just their music. It was just so far out yeah, there at the yeah, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're. Fa- no, I know. I
1: was a fan of all that. You know, Shrapnel Records and and um, you know, because that was really just this explosion of of gu- not only guitar players but technique, sound, gear, equipment. It was really a you know a, you know a truly exciting period
0: yeah absolutely
1: what was taking place and so it was just so what a great time to to start playing and learning and i was lucky so i had all was surrounded by that but i also had a teacher who was really cool and um you know i went into a music store a local, my local music store it was, must have been like 1987 you know and so i'm in there looking at i remember i was like <laughs> I can because you know, this memory is ingrained in my mind. I was looking at a fluorescent yellow, like Ivan is cool. You're like, yeah, it's like fluorescent, you know, fluorescent yellow. And and um, and this guy comes up to me, and he, he, you know, he looked really weird. Like, um, I don't know if you know this, there's this band, um, from LA called Red Cross, and they kind of had more of a psychedelic look. And so he kind of looked more like he was in this band, like that, like that kind of vibe. And he goes, you know, he, he asked me like, oh, who do you like? And I was just kind of nervous, whatever, as a yeah. shy kid. And, he, and he's like, you like Van Halen? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I love Van Halen. And so this, he's like, hey, can I see that guitar? And he takes his guitar plugs it into amp, turns up really loud. And he just starts playing like the intro to Hop for Teacher and Eruption and stuff. Note for note. And I had never seen anybody, you know, two feet in front of my face play all that kind of stuff. And so... Um, I was like, okay, you know, went home and I was like, I got to take lessons from this guy. And my parents were so cool, you know, even though, you know, we were, I came from a very lower middle class and we didn't have a lot of money. They made sure, they, my, you know, my dad always worked like an extra job, like delivering newspapers, you know, on, you know, on the weekends and stuff so there'd be extra money for things like guitar lessons and stuff. And so they let me study with this guy and, and it was cool because I'd come in there and I would be, oh my God, I want to learn, um, you know, in, burn. I remember, you know, like, whatever, something from the back for the attack. I mean, he would show me that stuff, but he'd also be like, hey, you should listen to stuff like the Yardbirds, and he would show me, like, Yardbird songs and bands like Motha Hoople, and, you know, like these, and introduce me to these players and Jeff Beck, and, and so it, it was, it, and, and I really started loving that stuff too, and so it really expanded my mind in terms of, okay, I really liked all this. You know all the metal guys because you know they were very exciting. But then I was like, you know, we I started learning more of the history of of how it got to that point.
0: Yeah, and, yeah.
1: And then learning enough theory to know like, okay, like I know I can play. You know, he showed me modes and chords and scales and like, the, you know, the, the harmonized major scale. You yeah. know, to go up in any. You know, to play like whatever, major seven, D minor seven, D minor, You know, whatever, all this kind of stuff. Um, had and how all that worked together and so that was really nice to be able to kind of have that you know that foundational knowledge to so when you know I graduated high school in 1992 which is right what you know it was was basically right when the alternative explosion kind of started taking place and a lot of that type of playing went out the door but so it was good I felt so I was when I was playing in all these alternative bands, I was always the one that knew more than anybody else, you know, about like, oh, this scale, you can play this over that, you know, but yeah. you had to actually tone down your playing.
0: Yeah. Right. Time. Yeah. Became <laughs> uncool to be educated in a way, didn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I get it. Cause it, cause it was, it seemed exciting and, you know, and things kind of work become reactions to certain things, you know, now to me in 2022, it seems kind of silly, you know, to be like, you know, that there's still people out there that, that, you know, that are come from this old, like, alternative guard of, like, like that's too, like, muso or something, you know, I I just don't, I don't subscribe to that type of thinking anymore. I think, you know, I really like, I feel like, you know, we are at a time where there's so much more musical freedom where you should really, be able to do what you want, and and I totally and, and don't get me wrong, I I love tons of post punk and alternative guitar players, like I, I love it. But you know, I what I find personally more exciting now is you know I'm friend. I would say, I guess we're kind of friends. Yeah, I could say we're friends. You know, Reeves who uh, plays in The Cure, but you know he's been tin with Bowie and stuff. Yes, um, and you know we played some festivals together in 2019. the the Cure and Smashing Pumpkins and so I got to watch him from side stage and to hear him blow over like you know some of these classic Cure songs and play all these outside licks and stuff tastefully it's so cool it's so it's it's so cool and I can see why someone like Robert Smith is such a genius for going like I gotta evolve the sound of this band and so I'm going to get someone who can when the time is right can really light it up in that way. You know, and it's only, it's very t- like, you know, they play forever they play two and a half, three hours. They just, yeah. you know, and you know, there's only like maybe three songs where he really goes off on the guitar. Most of the time he's playing, you know, playing the parts that are appropriate. But in those few moments, they really become show highlights because, you know, he can do something and brings, you know, an element to the sound that, um, that's really unique. And so that's kind of like, how i approach things now too is is you know you should have the freedom to do what you want i'm not going to subscribe to some musical etiquette you know from yeah. the 90s you know, <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. to where yeah. i want to learn as much as i can about how the instrument works yeah you know because it really unlocks limitations you it know, does doesn't me it personally yeah yeah mm, yeah
0: mm, yeah you know i was stuck in um pentatonic land for a long time i I learned to milk the crap out of it hey we're playing in d minor watch me play at the 10th fret because that's all the only place i kind (laughs) of know well and i um was such an explosion of information available to us via the internet and i i didn't really have a teacher when i was learning to play i was self-taught and didn't learn a lot of that stuff until later but it's really opened up the doors to creativity and it's not in a way that it sounds contrived. I know there's there's certain people who um, you can hear them thinking as they play. It's all mathematics. And then there's guys who are just using that knowledge in such a way that is so natural and liberating. Um, mm. And it's very hard to do. Now, you mentioned Reeves Cabrell. So I've been trying to get in touch with, with Reeves to come on to have a bit of a chat. Because I, I see he's got his own signature reverend guitar, as does Billy from your band. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. So Reeves, if you're watching, man get in touch I can, get- I can I
1: can I can I can I can put you guys in touch
0: oh that'd be great yeah, I was uh, I was yeah, gonna get yeah. Ken from Reverend to try and maybe put me in touch with him but if we could we'll have a no, chat Ken is great
1: Ken is Ken I'm good friends with the Reverend guys and yeah he actually that's how I you know met uh met Reeves and and um I started by you know Billy actually Corgan played Reverend guitars in the early 2000s he did a solo record and he used these baritone guitars that he got from reverend and then you know he kind of forgot about them and then at some point i started seeing their stuff and i don't know and i really wanted one so i started getting reverend and became friends with ken and um and uh and then i kind of re i you know told billy i said you know you should you should work with reverend to build you know your signature uh, to do a signature guitar for you because um you know billy had 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 an you know was kind of looking to get away from playing his fenders it was kind of because he wanted to do he wanted to explore new ideas in in you know and building his guitar and fender was just like kind of more interested in building like stuff he already had and he'd kind of like i want to do i want to i want to try some different things and um so he started working with Rev. But so yeah, I'm friend friendly with you know with all those guys, and they're they're just incredible people. And Joe Naylor, the designer, is
0: you know he's he's a genius and and a sweet human being too. So nice, nice. Yeah. Hey, um, we're talking about you you learning to play guitar earlier. Do you remember what your first electric guitar was?
1: Yeah, it was you know, uh, a Japanese Strat copy is like this brand called Mentoya or something like that. And I've looked for, I have it, it's in um, my storage unit, you know, but, and I've looked for them, you know, I, re- I looked sometimes to get another one on, on Reverb or eBay, you know what I mean? But, um, so I'm always on the hunt, but this is, it was a Japanese Strat copy, three pickup, you know, this is the classic thing.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And
1: then a few years later, I bought an actual Strat.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I started out with the the um the cheap strat coffee. I'm looking over there. That it, I still have it. Uh, it's in pieces, yeah. and it's one of those things that I want to restore one day. It's made out of plywood, but you never know. I, I, I might put some nice pickups and things in there, and it yeah. could come up good. I, there's stranger things have happened. Some of the I things I've every, done to that I keep Everything you do. Oh, I know.
1: Oh yeah. I keep, I have it all still. I have it all. Yeah. I still. Yeah. Yeah. My first amp, everything, which is a little Fender Sidekick 15. Still have it. Nice. Nice.
0: And at what age did you start playing in bands?
1: Well, I I guess, you know, I started jamming like in the garage with people, um, you know, when I was probably like 15. Well, you know, actually, I started playing with people even a little bit earlier than that um, because I remember my brother's friend wanted to start a band and I was like, you're like. I don't know how old he must have been at the time. You know, I felt like he must have been like, I guess he was only like 20 or something. I was like, I'm like just a kid. I'm like 14. Why do you want to, you know? But he's like, no, you're good. Like, you know, I want to eat. So he would pick me up and I would go jam with these adults, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. but really I started playing with like my peers, um, like in high school, hey, let's start a band. Like when I, as soon as I was 16. Yeah. Cause I would, I remember I would drive, <clears throat> drive my mom's car to, you know, the friend's house. and we'd try to butcher our way through like things like i'm going to try to play things like ice nine by Joe Satriani it's like really oh, this is it as a trio you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> like, like i'm like way you know way overachieving you know what i mean but uh <laughs> got <gonna> to shoot high got to got to put the back <laughs> up high yeah <laughs> yeah that's how i mean that i was kind of you know a real like so and just so invested in into the guitar and so it with those Uh, So so the bass player, you know, he took lessons at the same music store as I did. And so we had our lesson at the same time, basically. So I would see him then at high school would be like, hey, you take lessons. So we're like, okay, let's play together. And so we were both, you know, trying to learn how to play all that stuff, you know, trying to as much as we could. So we'd go in there and you know get this drummer who he I mean he didn't care less about you know surfing with the alien or anything like that but he was just like yeah I'll jam with you guys you know what I mean so we'd go in this you go in his parents garage and and try to bang it out like, yeah but I, then but then I but then I met some like like some other other guy and another guy you know and then I met another kid in high school who was he was like hey I heard you play guitar and I was like yeah and, he, and so I went to his and he could really he had a, you know he had like actually a carbon you know blue you know blue carbon and um, and so and he was really good so we would go and just show each other licks and then we we're like okay we got to start a band and that was much more okay we're gonna play Guns and Roses Cinderella you know what Warrant, you know things like you know these kind of popular eighties kind of hard rock you know and metal bands and um, so we we're like because so we could play parties you know we thought we could play party and I think we played one party and it was great it was, but that you know that was really really fun to 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 learn that kind of stuff and to play that stuff together and um you know but then you know it was funny because so we had that band we played all that stuff but then alternative came in, nirvana came out and so there was just massive division all of a sudden we're like we need to change our style we need to change our sound and god bless them, you know my friend who I play guitar with he was like Like he understood, he said, "That's totally lame. If we just totally follow the trend and change ourselves." Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, I I keep telling people. I keep telling people. We all get and left it behind. Yeah, I've done a bit of production work over the years, and I can remember when Scar became the big thing, and somebody came up to me and saying, "I'm going to start a Scar band." I'm like, "Dude, you don't get it. Those bands that are out there now have been playing Scar for ten years. They didn't." decide to take on the new trend. If you start doing that now, by the time you've got it nailed, it's gone. It's gone. And the same with grunge. You know, there was a lot of bands that were the hair metal and they tried to put out grungish records.
1: (laughs) And they were terrible. (laughs) The worst albums. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's one of those. And and (laughs) I think for a lot of those
0: bands, it's like, let us never speak of that again. You know, it's.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. yeah. 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 Well, you would see even like people like, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons in the mid nineties with like a flannel wrapped around their waist, you know, because it would just became part of the fashion, you know, you're like, hey, what are you guys doing? You know?
0: Yeah. 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 Fashion trends. Now, Jeff, you found yourself being the guitar player in Smashing Pumpkins. How many years ago? No, when did, when did you join? 15 years ago. Wow. So yeah, leading on. up to that, Going from playing the, the the parties and everything, how how did you feel your time? Were you playing in numerous bands with that whole vibe of "We're going to make it, we're going to"? Yeah. Uh,
1: well, what happened is, um, I'll give, I'll try to give like the, 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 I'll move. It's a long story, but I'll move it along quickly. That's okay. So, you can um, take as long as as long as you want. Basically, what happened is, is you know, high school came. You know, all, like like I said, when I started in nineteen eighty eight. I remember this. This. This is. It was such a great memory. First day of school, high school, 1988. I'd never seen so many Guns N' Roses t-shirts, especially in, in Southern California, growing up, because they were a local band that just basically exploded. And um, so that summer of '88, "Sweet Child of Mine" was just a massive, massive hit on MTV and the radio. And I'd never seen so many Guns N' Roses shirts the you know, first day of school, and I probably was wearing one too because I didn't know I had one. It's an appetite for destruction on the back and the whole thing. And, um, but, you know, by the time I graduated in June of 1992, you can imagine it was a completely different musical landscape. And so I stopped taking lessons. And, um, like I said, you know, I was trying to, you know, it was good. And I, the, the band that played hard rock metal covers had kind of morphed into the, um, the three of us left and went and started another band and found this guy that sang like eddie Vedder and did the whole like okay we're gonna start like an alternative band um yeah. and so when i graduated i started going there was an emerging because you know this is this pre-starbucks or anything like that coffee shops or anything like you know coffee houses you know a friend of mine said oh there's this cool coffee house in you know the next town over that has like an open mic night and it's cool all these musicians play we should just go and check it out hang out so i went there and and who do i see up there Do playing this crazy open tuned like jimmy page like like an open tuned like improv indian raga thing is my old guitar teacher oh cool so i started talking to him and and he's like hey um and i said you know what you know maybe i should start taking some lessons again he said oh i don't teach at the store anymore but you can just come to my house, just down the street, and take lessons there. And I said, "Okay, great." So I started taking lessons from him again. And he lived with two other musicians. And so when you know, I did my lesson, and then um, one day his roommate, after I left, you know, went to him and said, "Hey, who are you playing with?" And he said, "Oh, that's my student, Jeff." He said, "You know, my band um, is looking for a guitar player." And so anyway, so I joined my teacher's roommate's band. And you know, like I said, at the, I was eighteen. These guys seemed much, you know. They were like 26. I was like, oh my god, these guys are so much older. But they had already been playing all, all the clubs and everything. So by like the fall of '92, when I had just, I was, I was so lucky that I got to start playing every club in LA, all the famous whiskey, Troubadour, Roxy, all the way. You know, everything was still on the Sunset Strip. You know, yeah. I mean, um, even though, like I said, metal was gone but it was now, you know, everything was alter- alternative, but, you know, but the club scene was still just happening, you know, it was great. And so I really got that great experience. And so, um, and that band, you know, it's a, you know did fairly well, and, and we got some label interest, but never really quite achieved what we wanted to do. And then I joined, you know, another band after that, but at some point I decided, okay, maybe music's not gonna work out for me. And so I went back to college, and really fell in love with um literature and so i got my you know my undergraduate degree and then i was so into it that i um, applied for graduate school and so i was in a phd program at ucla studying comparative literature and i was not planning on doing music at all i was actually planning to become a, an academic i was going to be wow. a professor uh, <laughs> yeah right. and so, so during the middle of that though uh, an old bandmate of mine um, mess texted me one day and said, Hey, a friend of mine works at this management company that manages the smashing pumpkins. They're reforming James and Darcy aren't coming back and they're out here in LA finishing their record and they're looking for people. I really think you should do audition for the band. And, um, like I said, I wasn't even, I, I wasn't even really playing that much anymore, but yeah, right. I said, you know, maybe this, I should, why not? Because um, I was, I really was a big fan of the band because I remember, you know, I saw the first time I, I became aware of Smashing Punk is, was from a, a small article in Guitar World. And there was a picture of Billy and he had, you know, not, and he had, you know, had his, the Strat that he just got back actually fairly recently after it got stolen. He had a picture of him holding that guitar. And I remember reading the article and the reason I was like, wow, this band's got to be cool because they mentioned that piece of gear that's right behind, I guess, your left shoulder, that 88 MP1 that I can see, right? Yeah. And, and I was like, wow, that's the same unit that Skid Row and Vito Brada from White Lion and all the, you know what I mean? Paul Gilbert. All, I'm like, "This, wow, this is different than, you know, the other alternative bands that you just use like whatever, who knows what they're playing through, you know? And, um, So I went and bought that record, Gish, and was like, "Wow, this is great! Has blister, you know, credible musicianship, blistering guitars, cool solos, you know what I mean? Like, and so I really identified with because I really felt like, wow, this is um, music that I can I identify with because it had the precision, it had the heaviness, but also had that alternative thing that that came from." It wasn't even called alternative, you know, back then. It was whatever, new wave, post-punk, you know, because growing up in SoCal, I really always did like things like The Cure and Echo the the Bunnymen and U2. Um, you know, I, I mean, I always liked that kind of stuff as well. And so that made a lot of sense to me. And then, you know, we out out here, we had Jane's Addiction because they, you know, they were basically L.A. club band. And so that was kind of the first band that kind of really did that, that heavy thing with, you know the more weird, new wavy kind of post punky kind of stuff. And you know, if you remember Dave Navarro and the those nothing shocking, it was playing in Ibanez. Yep. You know, which <laughs> was and so it didn't seem strange though at the time. You know, it was cool. It was really cool that he, you know, that he did that. And I remember even I, if you look, there's pictures of John Frusciante when he first joined the Chili Peppers. Yeah. Like he was playing Ibanez too. You like know, an you know, RG or something like he, that. Yeah, yeah, because he went to GIT. You know, he went to the. You know, he was like, you know, becoming that player, and then all of a sudden, you know, he went, you know, and um, you know, took a different trajectory. But you know, he he came from that era too, and um, yeah. So like I said, so I was, so I auditioned for the Pumpkins, and you know, long story short, after months of of playing and getting to know each other, I ended up, you know, getting roped in. (laughs)
0: <laughs> to cool. This crazy world. Cool. So, yeah. so, do you remember the the audition well? Like how how does well, one was, audition for the Smashing Pumpkins? Well, it was many. The thing is is it was
1: many. It wasn't just one. It just yeah. what it wasn't. It was um because since they were out here finishing, they were like we're going to be here for a few months, so we can really take our time and we're not just going to play with you once and then tell you you're in the band like. And and but so what it was really actually you know, it was tough because I'm like, well, man, like, like, am I going to give up? I'm like, you know, I'm in in a, like a serious PhD program here at UCLA. Like, am I going to quit this to, you know, I want to, I need to kind of mentally know where I'm, where I'm going. Um, You know, so at the time it seems stressful, but now I look back on it and and it was just, wow, how cool was it? you know, to that they they, you know, they slowly opened their world to me. And, you know, they were recording at the village uh, recorder in in Los Angeles with Roy Thomas Baker. Wow. So And they were and they just said, hey, which is right by it's actually right by UCLA, too. And <laughs> so it was right. I mean, it was five minutes from my apartment and they said, you can come by, come by and hang out as much as you want. We want you to get acquainted with what it's like. Yep. And so the, I would just get to go and sit in the room and watch them r- record and Roy Thomas Baker and hear the stories and see the guy. I mean, you know, it was, it was pretty intense, you know, it was, it was cool. And that is the very first time during that, cause I got the gig and we we're, you know, we we're, they're like, okay, you're in the band and they're finishing that record and, um, and they start saying, so you got to build a guitar rig, you know, what do you want in your rig? I'm um, like, I mean, I had like a little, you know, like a, you know, a, a 66 Fender band master wow. and, some pe- you know, and some pedals and a Telecaster and a Jazzmaster, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, you know, that rig wasn't going to cut it for the pumpkins, you know, for when I was auditioning for the band, I actually had to call my old bandmate, that guy that my teacher was roommates with, because I knew he had a Marshall and I would be like, dude, can I borrow your Marshall? from auditioning for the smashing pumpkin. So he he was so generous and let me have his marshal for months because he was like, dude, I want you to get the game. Like, you know, you can use it. And um and uh Yeah, so they you know, they were like, we're gonna have a rig builder come down and you just tell him what you want and he's gonna build the rig. And so Dave Friedman came down to the studio and I remember it it, it didn't it, he ended up not building our rigs for that tour for the zeitgeist tour i actually had him build a couple of rigs for me later down the road but yep. um at that time but but he did come down to the studio one day and um, um and he was super cool and and, I, and and obviously he's um you know a legend
0: yeah um, so what did you end up going with for for building your first rig with with pumpkins well you know so it, it,
1: it, this is funny so what happened is um i remember they they brought in this one of Billy's old guitar techs, this guy, Mark Newman, who's Mark Newman is kind of a legendary tech. I think he might be, or he was for a lot, was do, the most recently was doing Tommy Thayer from Kiss, but he started out because he's from the Bay Area doing Brad Gillis, you know, from Night Ranger, but he did Brad Gillis for um, um, when he, when he felt basically when he joined Ozzy. And so he was there for all that. And then he did Prince and all, So he, he, and he was, so cool to me because i didn't know anything either. i mean i knew gear i was it i knew but i'd never known like gear at like okay like we're gonna build like a rack with the switching system and MIDI programmable you know i had i had an ada mp1 and the Quadroverb. you know and a it's a good combination home, so yeah yeah so i had that rig that what you have back there you know what i mean i had that Yeah, 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 I had, you know, so I understood that, but I never had like, you know, like, you know, some 28 space rack with all this, with this stuff. And so they were just like, so I ordered. they're just like, order whatever you want, you know, so I ordered all these pedals, you know, and, and, but when I showed up to rehearsal, the first day in Chicago was April, 2007, this kind of started in the fall of, of 2006, it was the first day i remember there was for me you know there was two diesel herberts no yeah Herberts. no there was another it wasn't the vh4 but there's another diesel amp at the time um and then two um bogner what was the um i can't remember but it's two bogners two diesels because i don't remember because i ended up not using them because Once we started, and oh, and like Les Pauls, SGS, and I would never even played Les Pauls there, so it's like, okay, let, yeah, let's let's get up and uh, start playing, and yeah, and, you know, so I'm like trying to play Les Paul Custom, which is the farthest thing from my Jazzmaster or my telly or my, you know, I I had my strap still, you know, and then through a high gain amp that I've never played through, and I was just stumbling. So, long story short, I end. We realized that when Billy and I were were playing, um, it was the Bogner Uberschall. That was that was yeah. The, the Wagner, yeah, great amp, incredible amp. But we realized when we were when we both played the same amp, it actually made it it, it didn't sound that sure. Good. Yep. And so I started using um, after a short trip through something else. You know, I, I landed on using the Randall modular amps. Yep, you know the RM series. Mm-hmm. Um, which I used off and on actually until, you know, fairly recently, I'm finally going to get off of it, you know, but you know, and, and, and throughout the years, Billy and I, he, Billy started using it too. We got all these custom modules from Anthony at Salvation Mods, um, in Prague, but yeah, so I landed on that and, you know, now I've gone through various phases of, of, um, You know, I had some rack effects and then I went to all pedals and then combination rack and pedals. And now I just um, basically use uh, uh, Line 6 Helix for all effects and kind of signal routing. And then,
0: um, you know, whatever amp I'm using, you know, which I'm switching now, basically. Dude, we're we're almost (laughs) fucking twins when it comes to gear, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, just,
0: that era, right? Yeah, yeah, you, you like, <clears throat> yeah. Got the old ADA, my old Quadroverb. That was that was my rig in the nineties. The only drawback oh, on that yeah. was that I couldn't just turn a knob on the fly to to make an adjustment for the room or anything. I can remember I, mm-hmm. I did a tour with a a very well known um, Australian pop band that had some hits when I was when I was still a kid. But got to tour with them, and I did one rehearsal. We played one song, and they said, "Man." You obviously know the stuff. Can you just back the metal off a little? And I sort of had to go menu diving just to back off the gain a little.
1: That's (laughs) what got me thinking. I
0: need something like this that I can turn knobs on. And so I went down the whole Randall RM4 route as well.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So I
0: I had that set up. That was my introduction to Dave Friedman uh, way before he – had Friedman amplification. I was getting my modules modified by by Dave. Um, and yes, oh yes, the yes. sound. I think you must have done the, the Brown Eye mod to a, an SL plus module that I had, which he told me was a prototype he'd done for Steve Stevens. And oh that opened my my ears to a great open sounding amplifier where the grain is almost 3D and sits forward in the mix and just the clarity feels so good
1: on the hands too yeah
0: yeah i've Uh, tried to get back into using the ada but my tastes have evolved and now it just sounds a little scratchy or something to me um (laughs) you know i you know it's so funny that you say
1: that because i just um i hadn't i didn't even know what happened to mine you know after because you know i had stuff here and then i moved to chicago and you know i kind of lost track of some things Like, i in one of the things i couldn't find was my ada and my uh, old bandmate of mine from a different band um called me that he goes hey he goes oh i'm cleaning out i gotta clean out my garage and i got some gear of yours here and i got this thing it's i don't know it's ada and i'm like you have the ADA. and so he just brought so i just got it back on on literally on Sunday. So cool. um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not even going to turn it on because um, my last guitar tech uh, trace, um, he, he from trace from voodoo amps. Trace Foster. Know, yeah. 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 From voodoo amps. You yeah. know, he teched for me on this last couple of shows we did in September. He, you know, he used to mod, mod those things and stuff. And he said, don't turn it on because if you haven't turned it on in 20 years, probably the filter caps and stuff might blow up. So he's like, send it to me. I'll open it up first and make sure it's, you know, and, and I'll dial it in for you. He's like, I, I, he's like, I don't even, I told, I don't work on those anymore. He's like, but I'll, you know, he's like, I'll do it kind of, I'll do it for you.
0: Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I had train- to get this one modified as well. Uh, just, uh, not modified, maintained. I had to get the caps and everything replaced cause it was noisy and everything when it turned it off. That's what he said. He
1: said it most likely is like, you'll, it, you'll damage it if you just turn it on.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you said you're using the Helix at the moment. I've got one sitting right over there, and I can see that Ben is in the chat room. Thanks, thanks, Ben, for the lend of it, mate. Uh, I have a show <laughs> coming up on um, – so everyone knows – all us guitar players know that January 26th is Eddie Van Halen's birthday, but it's actually yeah. Australia Day, what they call Australia Day over here. And I'm doing a big show at the casino here um, in the, the backing band for a whole bunch of Australian 80s artists and i need versatility man i need versatility and mm-hmm. um so i've borrowed a, a helix of somebody i'm running a little friedman double j jr so the small box is normally my my choice but uh-huh. i'm waiting to get another one of those but yeah using that to handle all the effects and the routing and everything and yeah oh i see i
1: see Are you using the like four cable method then Are i am i that? am yep. 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 Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. yeah 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 great yeah yeah now, Jeff, you you used AxeFX for a while too, and I know this because I did. I yes, know. I only yes. know this because you shared some patches with me online uh, for, on the forum many years ago. I just oh, got effects 2, and I was trying to get it going, and I was on one of the forums, and you were kind enough to send me some some patches.
1: Oh, great, wonderful! Yeah, yeah, I got you know, I got on that as soon as it came out. I was like, I got to get one of these, and so I bought one from I think. I think was Dave working free tone merchants or tone something? Tone merchants, yeah,
0: yeah, yep. Yeah, I
1: think I got it. You know, I bought it through them because it was like, where you? I don't even know where you where you got those. And so then he built me a rack with the with the Axe effects and the RM4, and we had it for a cable method and everything in loops, so I could, yeah, I had like all these crazy possibilities. You know, where I could use the RM4 for for preamp sounds, but I could also use the Axe Effects for preamp sounds too, into my two power amp and, and, but I'll or just use it just for effects. And yeah. So, so I was, I was an
0: early, yeah. Early user of the Axe Effects. Yeah. Yeah. I, I struggled with it, man. Um, I was doing a song for a friend of mine that I produced and I just wanted to put in some, some guitars and I found, they tell me that the, the Axe 3 is a lot better now uh, and it's got the whole dynamics thing down, but, I just couldn't get the guitars to sit in the mix. If if I got it to where you could hear the guitars where they should be, you couldn't make out what I was playing. If I turned it up to where you could hear what I was playing, it it was too loud. And And I ended up ordering a little Egnator Tweaker, which is sitting right up there. I got the first one in Australia, they had just been released. I ordered one from overseas plugged it in put a mic on it played first go and there was the sound I was looking for and it was just like
2: yeah, oh, yeah maybe yeah.
0: maybe this <clears> digital <throat> isn't for me yet but I I'm not gonna write off the ax3 I hear great things about that but you know yeah I, I'm, yeah. I'm really I mean excited.
1: I use it I was gonna say I go, go ahead go ahead go
0: ahead I, I was gonna say uh, talking about the old Randall system I just got an email from uh, the friend uh, the folks at boutique amps distribution i have two big boxes on their way to me with the new synergy sin 2 and all of their modules for me to to demo and do some some online demos oh, for their website I so i think that's the ticket for me to get that versatility again uh is, is having yeah, the modular yeah. set up
1: well i can they get they got to get the uh, you're gonna have i hope they send you the buy one to, so you can let me that know is in there works. yeah
0: yeah have you played the VI one I haven't I
1: haven't I haven't yeah I haven't had a chance to to play it um no I you know the last Nam show I went to and I stopped by there and I and I wanted to play um I wanted to check it out but it was just so chaotic in there and um I just didn't you know the the, I couldn't I didn't get a chance to to try the actual you know Synergy stuff but but now I'm actually I've, I've moved you know for amps I started using the the Rev Generator 120. Nice yeah yeah um it, and it's and it's funny because um i the reason i got into the using the rev amp was because i started using the the um the model in helix they had oh, yeah. the they had the red channel in in helix yep and then now they've added the purple channel too there's you'll see there's rev red and red rev purple and um i started using those and was like wow like this amp sounds incredible. love this, love the sound of this. And so I had um, our manager reach out to Rev and then I get a message back and it's from uh, an old friend of mine, Sean Tubbs, who's the artist rep and Sean. Yeah. Hello,
0: Sean. yeah.
1: yeah Sean, Sean was the guitar player in the band that I replaced when I was 18, when my teacher has roommate, you know, was in a bit, uh, Sean's brother was the drummer, you know, of this band. And so he quit. And so they needed a guitar player but so you know and so i've known Sean like literally since then nice um, and, yeah so and then he totally hooked me you know hooked me up with them and cool and that amp is incredible i don't know if you know about the the and then i think this is version three now um it has a uh two notes torpedo load box built into the head yeah with with irs that are switchable on the front of the amp so for for home recording you can it has two xlr outs like you don't even have to hook it up to a cabinet nice you can go have like the full two amp and it's it sounds incredible i love that two note
0: stuff man i've got the the captor x uh that they kindly sent sent me to to do a demo of and um yeah that's that's a a great uh concept uh, especially to be able to adjust it all on the fly with your phone and everything. Are you miking live or are you running Torpedo? With
1: Pumpkins, um, we still use cabinets, but in ISO cabs. But now that I have, I'm switching to the Rev. One of the reasons, but I, I really don't like that sound of the ISO cab because it sounds like a cabinet in a box, and yeah. we're on the in- ears, so you can really, it, it doesn't have that the airiness. There's, you know, there's something about, you know, having a super loud cabinet in a ISO box with foam that it, even though the mic is right on the
0: speaker, it's,
1: it does something to the sound that's still unpleasant. a
0: resonant frequency. Everything, everything yeah. that a speaker is built into has a, a resonant frequency. Um, yeah.
1: So this to me sounds way better. Yeah. I, I, I demo, it it sounds, inc- sounds incredible.
0: Nice, nice. You know, I, I did have a play of the uh, the Rev stuff when I was in Germany. I went to a, a uh, an event called 42 Gear Street uh, and the guys from Rev were there and they had their amps. And I remember talking to Dan Trudeau from um, from Rev and just saying, Jesus. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one standout channel. I can't remember which one it was. And I, I cheekily was talking to him over dinner one time and I was like, Dan, how had a play, man. Yeah, I, I channel one or whatever it was yeah, pedal platform. Ah, don't know, man. Yeah, channel channel two that yeah, was better, yeah, but but three oh, or four, I can't remember which one. I just went, oh, that just set my world on fire, man. And uh, he yeah, I, I really liked it. No, I, yeah, was,
1: I mean, yeah, the one in one is just like you know, is like a like a clean, you know, I would say it was maybe more in the American style you know but still very versatile and you know and it does take pedals very well you know that i've been using it quite a bit in the studio and i just like i want to see how like running distortion pedals and stuff into it and it it does sound really well for it well uh, and it's and then channel two is more like a a vintage plexi-ish type of thing but it doesn't really set it to me that it's a it has its unique sound on its own but three and four are are what you're you know what you're paying for with that amp you know and it and it's just this really great, like for modern distortion sounds, you know. What I mean, it and it it it's it's got a, a complexity to the harmonic sound that is just really beautiful. Like nice. you know, you sit there and play it, and you and and you know, I, I sit in there and this sometimes, and you're just hearing it really loud through you know studio monitors. You're like, wow, this is just such a great tone. You know, and you, when you hear it in a loud mix with, you know, really good, as you know, really good amps and stuff, the way they sit against other instruments mm. is so important. The The musicality of it is just fantastic. And then, like I said, I, I just really appreciate that it's, in a, you know, for, for an age where digital stuff is so much easier in, in some ways, you know, that if you're going to go and use you know a very expensive tube amp it's got to be worth the price you know like you're getting that thing that you can only get from you know using this type of technology in an age when man the modeling stuff because you know helix has those channels and they sound i come home sometimes and i play and i play through the, the and i'm like man it sounds crazy close you know what i mean yeah. it's not what or it sounds the same where it but it's when you really listen, there's it feels slightly different, even though if it sounds the same. Yep. Yeah. You know? um, and then you hear, but I actually recently did a recording. Um, you know, Billy's a huge wrestling nut. Oh, really? Um, he owned, yeah. Billy owns a he owns um, the NWA, which is a, a wrestling um, company out here in, in the states. And oh, so cool! I just did did a the new. I've done the last two theme songs for him for the TV series. And the first one I did actually with Michelangelo, Michelangelo and I did it together. And then yeah. I, I just did this one because we didn't have time you know, to get a, a guest. And, you know, I used my Rev amp for all the rhythms because I wanted to see how it recorded for something really heavy like this. And it yep. was incredible. And, but then I was like, ah, oh, it's kind of bum because I can't use it for the leads. Cause you know I mean? It's like, I already had like four tracks of rhythm guitar and stuff. I, I was like, and so I used Helix you know, the Friedman, mo- you know, the Friedman <clears throat> model in there. And I mean, it just, and the, you, you can't really tell that, that it's, I mean, I can't tell like what, what's the tube and what's the model. Like they yeah, right. both sound really, really great.
0: Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. I've been yeah, doing a bit, yeah. of, bit of experimenting with, with all the, the models in there. Um, I'm not a fan of the clean channel. On the on the little Friedman I've got there, like I said, I'm waiting to get a small box again. That's that's my amp. So I have experimented with some of the models in there. Uh, I think it's a basement that I'm using to get my, my cleanish. I, I I prefer not to use compressors. I'd rather have the sound have a bit of a, a bit of hair around it to, to soak up those transients rather than a compressor. And yeah, yeah I'm really. leaning on, on some of those. Uh,
1: speaking of speaking of compressors, I got it. Let me I got it, I got it right here. Have you tried? Have, I mean, you probably have. Have you tried this? or uh, this, the Kelly seventy six. No, I
0: haven't yet, man. I haven't. Um, I know someone that's got one. Uh, I've it's got incredible. a seventy six style it, it, compressor over here, so I'm I'm well yeah. familiar with a, an 1176. It's, it. An eleven
1: seventy six. It's incredible. I have to say
0: for clean. So I, I I'm addicted. I might have to try that because after this, after <laughs> I do this run of shows, I've got some more coming later in end of March. I'm going to piece together a new rig, um, and I'm going to experiment with some analog pedals, and that yeah. might just be the, the compressor of choice. It's heavy, though. <laughs> it's, it's heavy, really like heavy. physically? It is. It is. Uh, it's,
1: actually, it's, like the one, it's like the heaviest pedal I've ever <laughs> felt.
0: It's, yeah. It's I'm going really to come weird. back and ask you about pedals and things that you might be using live with the band. Okay, but, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to jump back just a little bit. We're talking about Sean Tubbs. I, um, oh, yeah, yeah. I produced a uh, a record for a friend of mine who's an amazing singer. Um, she was a uh, local girl. She has been touring the world as backing singer for Sinead O'Connor. She was touring with that uh, family group, The Cause, and things like that. And she came back yeah. home to Australia. Yeah. And um, it's like, yep, yeah, okay, let's, let's throw together a little recording. We did it in my lounge room here. And she wanted to have a bit of a countryish flavor about it. And I'm no country player. And I think you can really tell when people are faking uh, a style. It's like, well, you're playing the right notes, but it's not you're not coming from the right place. And she was talking about getting, you know, some guy who's played on a couple of country records, could play a little bit, a little bit countryish. And I remember having coffee with her one time, and I said, Brooke, why aren't you thinking big? And she said, What do you mean? I said, Well, why would you get some backyard guy to do this? Why aren't you reaching out to like a, a serious country player? She's like, well, who would I get? And I said, well, who's the biggest female country artist right now? And she said, oh, Carrie Underwood. And I said, well, why wouldn't you reach out to to Carrie's guitar player and get him to play some stuff? And she said, oh, as if I could get you know somebody like that on there. And I remember leaning yeah, into yeah. her and going, Brooke, I've got, Gary's guitar player waiting to play on your record and he only wants X amount of dollars and she's like no way and that and that was Sean so we got Sean to play a, a few tracks and it was just the perfect thing his sound was oh. mic'd and EQ'd I, I didn't have to do anything to it to make it sit in the track uh, and it, he gave us many options and it was just a matter of having a little mute party and playing all the tracks and turning on different ones at different times to get the the feel but wow yeah absolutely no Sean,
1: sean's incredible and he always has been yeah you know even
0: you know i mean when
1: i first saw would see him play you know before i joined you know took over for him in this band you know he yeah i'd go see him play to be like he i mean he he worked at um i guess it was called lab sounds you know and it was a it was a you know a place where you could get a rack built and it was like way well, a place where you go and you could the only place that like, carry like Mesa boogie preamps and all that kind of stuff in the eighties. And so, you know, you could go, it was impressive. You go see the band play and he had the hugest rack. I mean, it was incredible. It was, I and mean, he was playing like Valley arts guitars and stuff at the time. Like the stuff that you'd only, that all those, like, like Steve Lukather and all the studio guys had.
0: Yeah. I, I had a Valley arts yeah. uh, for quite a while actually. Um, and, and they were all the rave they were all the all the rage and i was talking to uh probably the best guitar builder in australia over here charles Cilio. and i was I, I knew somebody that had still had one that was willing to sell it really cheap and i was talking to charles about restoring it and everything and he and he just said to me he goes have you plugged it in and had a listen i'm like god oh, i've just been playing it no not plugged in he goes do so because they don't actually sound that good in hindsight and i did plug it in and with the old emgs and everything i was like Oh, sure, sure, you, yeah. You're right. You know, I think styles come and go and EMGs were all yeah. of the rage back then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I don't know whether I should dive too much into gear just yet. What I would want to know about is with – well, okay, so when you joined Smashing Pumpkins, James had left, so I guess you were taking over playing his parts, yeah? For the most part,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Were at you, the time – I was gonna say we were. It was for a new album cycle, Zeitgeist, and so we we're, you know, played a lot of the new material as well, though.
0: Okay, and yeah, yeah. So on that first record, were you given free reign to come up with your own parts, or did Billy have a, an idea in his head? is like, no, no, play this.
1: Oh, so on that they had the record on Zeitgeist. The record was already done, so <clears throat> I just played what was on the record. Okay, you know, so yep. I didn't start recording with the band like after um, we did a. a there was, gosh, you know, um, what happened is, you know, Jimmy ended up leaving the band again at the end of two thousand eight, and so then we had to get and and Ginger didn't end up wanting to stick around either, so it was just Billy and I actually after after the Zeitgeist tour it was just the two of us, and so we had to get a new bass player and a new drummer, and so we kind of had to basically reinvent the band. Um, which in a way was nice because then it became like we had to find a different voice which actually allowed all of us to have a little bit more freedom and so then there was a, a project called the the tear garden by kaleidoscope um and so by the you know by the end of that that's where you start hearing like you know the whole the whole band you know on those um but i don't think any of the none of those songs are up for streaming or anything billy you know took them all down and so um some people have them but uh um but but then the, the record after that was Oceania and so um yeah that that was like the parts that I play on that record are my own parts you know and yeah
0: cool cool now yeah. when it comes time to learning old parts um what was your method for that, mate? I, I know I find myself learning a lot of old songs from the 80s to to play with some of the artists. And I I use mm-hmm. a really cool little program which gives me a few tricks up my sleeve to isolate parts. How did you go about learning the old parts?
1: There was, at the time, you know, there, I mean, when I was learning these tracks, which was like, you know, when I was auditioning for the band first, I had started learning all these songs um Tascam made this thing called the Tascam guitar trainer and it was you had to put a CD in it but you could loop and slow down so you could I isol- and it actually works better than a lot of these newer like, even though there's like um a lot of like digital ones now yeah but this was great because you could loop a section there was no gap
0: Nice. Okay. And when it slowed down, read... did it change the pitch or, or remain constant? No, it's
1: the same pitch, but, cool. yep. but but you know, but like anything, it would, of course, get really warbly, yep. you know, be, but it would retain the pitch. Mm-hmm. So at the time to have this thing where you could do that, and I I went through like three of those things, you know, because I would have, you know, I just used them so much time I would break them. And, you know, it was plastic, like basically CD player. And it had, so it, it was, it had that, it had a little built-in amp. Sim, you know, so you could create, you know, like, you know, it sounded terrible, but you could sit there and play along. yeah And I would just, um, play all the time, you know, and that's how I would learn, learn, learn the tunes. Cause, you know, and there, you know, there might have been some tabs and stuff, but, you know, they're always wrong. Yeah. I'm not even close. And so yeah, I'd have to sit there and, and really learn it note for note. Yeah.
0: yeah. Cool. Learn things. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Pick it out. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I've, been aware of some bands like say iron maiden where a guitar player is left they get a replacement and then the guitar player comes back and they keep the replacement and i whenever i see that i think you know what that new guy not that you're a new guy you've been with the band how long now 17 years you say must be a good guy because they want to they want to keep him around and and i think that's (laughs) a a testament to to character and you mentioned that when you auditioned there was a lot of just hanging out and when i was talking to pete thorne on one of these podcasts pete brought up that a lot of it is to do with um just who you are and whether you're somebody that you would want to hang out with on tour because let's face it when you're on tour you're in each other's faces the whole time and you're seeing each other in in the lobby at 5 a.m to to catch a a plane and if somebody is an asshole you 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 don't want to be touring with them
1: (laughs) no no i mean i think a lot of what it is i mean the plane The musical part of it is the longer something goes on is is really, you know, maybe only thirty percent of a gig. Yeah, I mean, and you can find a lot of people that can do that job. You know, Um, I think the Pumpkins it was hard. You know, Billy told you know I was it was strange because I was the very first guitar player to audition. Really. and, and Jimmy being Jimmy which he's so j- great about he was like great we found our guy he can do it you know because we <clears throat> but I think they thought well we better go and audition some more people so they you know they auditioned I don't know how many people because you know they, they told me that maybe like seven or eight other guitar players you know and <clears throat> and I guess what you know what they would find is that it, it, you know you get someone who could come in and play, um, like the new wavy spacey dreamy stuff really well but when it came to playing heavy they couldn't play they couldn't play heavy yeah and then you get guys that could come in and play heavy stuff really well but when they had to play like the new wavy post punky, they just had no idea how to play that style of guitar you know um so i think that was just you know, in hindsight, to find someone that can really do the, the gig in the Pumpkins is you have to have someone that really grew up with both and is yeah. invested in both styles, yeah, um, entirely. And 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 so I guess that was a bit tricky. Yeah, but so that aside, though, but then as especially as you go longer and longer being in, in a in a band, um, is different. And where Pete is absolutely right, and I know Pete Pete's a I love Pete. He's, he's, he's a great guy and and crazy planet where he's absolutely correct is that learning to not even learn, but like being able to, to hang out and understand the vibe is so crucial because when you're coming in later, you're never going to be an original member. Original members can do whatever they want because they have a different dynamic you know, because they were three or four nobodies off the street. And so they can tell each other to F off and you know what I mean? Yeah. But you as coming into something that you're, you know, most of the time not going to have those privileges because, you know, you didn't create the monster, but you're just kind of living inside the monster, (laughs) you know? know? And so it is, it is a different skill. And then as you go farther on, especially in a band like, like Smashing Pumpkins now is, you know, um, I don't have any children, but all the other members, you know, they have kids and families and stuff. And so, you know, who they want around and how they're going to act and be around their kids and stuff. That's all part of the gig too. Yeah.
0: You know I mean? You have
1: realized. so it, it, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a different situation when you, the, the farther, um, something goes along. You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I saw a, a documentary on Ginger Baker from cream, the, the drummer, and, mm-hmm. um, I know he's passed away now, but, I walked away from that going, that guy isn't, he's not a nice guy. (laughs) Yeah, The documentary starts with him breaking the nose of the guy making the the documentary by (laughs) smashing him across the face with with his walking stick. And then the whole thing led up to why that happened and everything. And, you know, such a brilliant drummer, but he couldn't get a gig because he just was not a nice human. So, you know, you've got to be a good dude, you know.
1: Well, I remember, even you know, for someone like Jaco Pastorius, at the end of his life, he was basically on the street, and no one wanted to play with him. Couldn't get a gig because he was just, you know, it's too difficult to deal with. Even though he was, you know, the you know, he literally probably was the greatest bass player, as he would tell people, "I'm the greatest bass player." That he really was. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, he yeah. couldn't get a gig. Yeah, he yeah. couldn't get a gig, and that's yeah. so sad. Yeah.
0: So prior to James returning to the band did you have it sitting in the back of your head? Like what if James comes back, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get turfed. Cause that happens. I know that happened to the chili peppers recently. And oh, was that yeah, something that yeah, was in the back yeah. of your mind? Um,
1: yes and no, but you know, the, 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 greatest thing of, you know, one of the, one of Billy's very great traits is that he's very transparent in that way. And so he would often talk about it like, well, if the stars align, he's like, you know, I would definitely entertain the thought of of getting the band back together again, you know. Um, but when it actually started to become uh, just an inkling of an idea uh, becoming a reality, you know, whenever it was, 2017 or whatever, twenty, you know, he told me from the second he had the idea, he goes, but if James comes back, he's like, you're staying in the band. So there was no threat. So, and, you know, there was never a threat to me and he was like, you know, hopefully if, you know, if it all works out, it'll just make the band bigger be better for everybody. Awesome. You know? uh, Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a threatening situation. And then, um, and to hit and then to James's credit, you know, when we started rehearsing in 2018 for the shiny, you know, so right I mean, like the first day he came up to me and he was like, I don't have any ego about this. I'm not here to step on your toes. You know, I just want this to work out as best it can. So you know, like, like I'm here. Basically, I'm here to be a, a team player. And and if I'm stepping all over you, just let me know. That's you great. Know what I mean? man. And, That's great. Yeah. It, it, and and um and he lives out here in L.A. So James and I are actually both out here in L.A. And and you know. Like we go out to dinner, and you know we've we wanted you know we were because Omicron kind of got out of control. We're but we were going to go to you know some hockey games, and so I mean I really just I I love I love him, you know. What I mean it's like I feel like I've been in a band with him for the whole time, you know. I mean there's Ooh. really nothing threatening, and and in fact you know what you know what is so strange about the whole thing is you would think that having another you know there's only so much, you know, any band, there's only so much guitar real estate, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, and Billy is a, an incredible guitar player, you know, and he's, you know, is the the songwriter of the band, you know, it's his, you know, his create. you know, a lot of the smashing pumpkins is his creation. So, yeah. you, know, you know, I'm like, so I'm not delusional about like what it is, you know what I mean? And um, so you, but you would think like, okay, wow, now there's, three guitar players. So on on the one hand you can think like, well, those especially those records like Siamese and and Melancholy and Infinite Sadness are extremely layered records. So it's great that we can really reproduce like those recordings like incredibly well live. It's it's cool. so cool. And with because you know James actually uses Billy uses the uh, Helix HXFX, the Line Six HXFX. I use Helix, and James uses. Um, he has AxeFX effects two, I believe. Um, I don't think he's upgraded to three uh, yet, um, but maybe he has actually. Um, but you know, but, and then we're all using amps, but with all, you know, but with all those things, like all those vintage phasers and delays and, you know, the eventide, even types of effects, pitch shifting effects that are like, we can actually do all that stuff, you know? And like- so it's, it's really wonderful. So, so on that end, it's, you know, it's great. You know, we can do that, but you would think, but of course there's material like new material. And then like kind of later period pumpkins, like say from a door even or, or a um, machine where, we kind of are more interpretive with them. You know, you would think like, oh my God, now there's like a, you know, three guitar players. But what is great is I don't actually have to worry. I don't have to cover what James used to do, even on the old material, which is, you know, I was never a Gibson player. I was never a Les Hall type of player. Yeah. When I joined the band, I had to become one. And now I'm in of course, having, I have, Quite a few Gibsons in the arsenal, which you know for recording and stuff. Like, of course, you have, you know, yeah. you know <laughs> and, and you know, I, I love them, but you know, now live, I don't play those style of guitars because James does, yeah. And so it actually allows me to, I guess actually just get to be me, and I get to kind of float in between the two of them and just and do what I want to do um, when the awesome. time is appropriate. And it, and I really appreciate, you know, I didn't and that's a that's an insight that i wouldn't have thought about you know because of course ego when you go like okay great i'm gonna have my i'm not losing my job but what the hell am i gonna do you know
2: yeah you know
1: and and you would think like wow that another person up here how how could that give you actually more freedom but it actually gives me allows me to be more myself and i really appreciate that's been something that's been really wonderful so I'm very thankful actually to the situation
0: cool do you ever find yourself um where there's parts where James might say <clears throat> man I always struggled playing that part you seem to play that uh better than me how about you take that that one or does that has that ever popped up um yeah
1: well you know the funny thing is is now I think we know each other's playing so well that we don't even really talk about who's gonna play what like it's just everybody knows like
0: like that's your thing
1: that's your thing yeah yeah i'm gonna do this you know can you cover you know like it it, kind of just pretty quickly falls into place you know yeah it's really yeah yeah it's not um too much
0: fighting over stuff cool cool um talk me through your 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 signal path that you're using live now like so you've mentioned the helix and, and the amps and stuff but let's get specific like what what guitars are you you're taking out on the road with you
1: um yeah let me i'll just i'll just i'll just grab and me see um well this is maybe the most <clears throat> um these are my i got these these are yamaha pacifica. custom shop pacifica beautiful Uh, which they they don't really make anything quite like this you know Um, and it's actually taken the body inspiration was from something that they've kind of made in late 80s early 90s you know I think some of similar to what maybe Michael Lee Ferkins you know those guys you know he had I think he had a signature at the time so they went through the archive and and pulled it and and then um at the time Pat Compilatano who's now at he's Jackson's custom shop builder but he was at Yamaha you know he did some new contours on this and you know there's like things like they didn't have this type nice. of heel on the back you know at yep. the time and um yeah. so i have four of these and you can kind of see they're all you know in different colors the, the fluorescent one um and that has a sustainiac in it but Love then the white one in there, yeah, and there's um kind of like a dark green one in there too and so i have four of these and um do they all have Floyd Rose? Yeah, all yeah, have Floyd Rose, floating Floyd Rose with um, F.U. Tone upgrade to Adam at F.U. Nice. Tone's a very close friend of mine and um, just been such a, a, man, He's he's been such a great supporter of me and you know, just a short little you know, he's introduced basic because of him, got to meet Eddie Van Halen, go to 5150 and the nice. whole deal like he's you know, and to this day he's um, so he's, he's still really helps me out so it has like these titanium screws that have been replaced This these inserts um are upgraded it has the big brass block noiseless trem springs um
0: and only two springs yeah 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 because these are kind of the red his red sign
1: springs are kind of a little bit stiffer okay so um and according to him you know if you have a floating tremolo especially yeah um, that whether you have two or three springs, tension mathematically is the same to get it wherever it is, like the focal point. Right. Yep. yep. So whether you have two springs, three springs, I, I feel I still argue it feels different, but he said the tension mathematically is the same. OK, you because yeah. it's for it to be with these strings at that tension, you know, at this kind of floating angle or whatever. You know,
0: but so, and what about At neck profiles point, on those? Are they a standard neck profile? No, 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 no they're super thin. Super thin,
1: I mean, that, yeah, I don't know. You can see it. they're like very thin, modern, flat. I mean, I wouldn't say that modern, but you know, because they started making things, yeah. you know, very similar to like you know, something like an Ibanez or something like that. Very okay. Very okay.
0: I've, I've actually have uh, Pacifica right there. I'm just gonna grab it, yeah. It's not mine, and I haven't actually played it much. But maybe I should give yeah. it a bit of a a, a whirl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So this is, you
1: know, it's got a flat, twenty-four frets. Oh, what does that? Let me see. What kind of does that? That is a locking one. Uh no, locking tuners. It's got locking yeah, tuners. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Funnily enough, this belongs to my my best friend, and she doesn't play guitar. She bought it. It was on special at a store, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that it's got this push which uh, which one is it one of them's got a push pull There Maybe it is yeah. push push on the tone which splits the um the the humbucker there and <clears throat> it actually gets quite a convincing tone some humbuckers yeah. just completely fall apart when you split them what pickups you got in yours these
1: are, uh, this is a Seymour Duncan Hunter, you know, the George Lynch, you know, pickup. Yeah. And this is the Seymour SSL-5 single coil. And then they did a custom neck wind of the Hunter for me. This not, you know, usually don't make it, but they kind of did a matching. for this is pretty, really hot, yeah. you know, and, uh, because, um, but I always love like that underlocking key tone, you know. So for this kind of guitar, it, it works really well. I didn't, I didn't put any uh coil tapping and stuff on this because i i've I've done it so much in the past and then live i never i never use it much you know i mean and so since i knew i was these were going to be like my like main live guitars i just was like i wanted it to be like the pulling those things or the dips which it just ends up kind of never working out for me you know so but it's got you know 24 uh jumbo stainless steel frets you know, um, Do you find
0: there's a difference in tone with with stainless steel?
1: I mean, definitely unplugged, you can hear it. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's definitely kind of a brighter, poppier sound. I don't know. For me, I'm playing, you know, especially distorted, like really high gain, jacked up sound. I, I don't know if I can hear the difference. definitely um, feels great. Though, I, I mean you. Can, I, I I mean it. They just they feel fantastic. I've become totally addicted, totally addicted to them. Yeah. So nice,
0: nice. I guess, so
1: this is you know, these have become my, kind of my main guitars. Yep. Um I actually have two. They're at the shop right now. Uh, the Yamaha customers. I also have two, refinished, just um, production Pacificas that we did in different colors, and we put Mega on them. I don't know if, you, if, if you're familiar with those. Um, what are they? yeah it's a, a replacement uh non-locking tremolo but you can rip re- but it feels like a locking tremolo and you can, it has kind of the travel of of it and they stay in tune actually um really quite well so i have those and i put um but i have noiseless single coils in it yeah and i went originally with 250k pots but it's too dark you know so i, I have them they're putting some 500k pots in it, for it but so but Those and this are kind of like my main, and I also use some Rev Stars as well, which for more of like a humbucker, you know, um, less polished SG kind of sound. I I do because I still do want to use this, but like I said, like eighty-five percent of the time now I'm using these because these are. I kind of wanted, and the only and I said, I I I have four because I have you know two in E and two in E flat. Oh yeah, because I have to have a backup. For each tuning, because if obviously, if you break a string on this, you got to switch immediately. Yeah. Because you know, I, I, I use the floating trumps. Um But I, for each tuning, I, I just stick. I try to stay on one guitar now. I used to really like switching guitars all the time because you know, would I was like, oh my god, I have all these guitars, I have a guitar tech, like I want to be Rick Nielsen, <laughs> you know. And then you realize, you know, like, you know, you look at the really great players. Most of them, you know, there's always exceptions, but. You know, a lot of the players I really love, like they just kind of live on one guitar as much as possible all night, and I get that because once you, it's like a feel thing. You know, like switching neck profiles and pickup combinations and scale lengths can be um, confusing to the to the hands. You yeah, know? And and I guess once me, you find
0: your thing, you you stick to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So these four guitars have they're exactly the same. Cool. Like same body cut, same neck profile, same fret, same fret size. The only one is the, the, um, the, uh, the fluorescent orange one, red one has, um, a maple, uh, neck, all full maple neck. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, other than that, they're exactly the same. They feel the same and, um, they sound phenomenal. I mean, they're just, they're, they're exquisite guitars. They play so well. I feel very, very, very lucky. And, um, what are you stringing yeah, them up with? I use on E natural. I use Ernie um, Ball Slinky Nines. Went to you know um, for a long time. I used Tens, and then I, I I decided to go back to Nines, and it really makes a difference, especially with with this kind of guitar. It just it, it just it's the right feel because you want to be able to kind of even if you play like a like even like a, a D chord want a little bit of a shake yeah you know? yeah so it's uh having that slinkiness to it is really nice and uh so and then on t- on e-flats i use tens
0: cool cool yeah i did the same like everybody tuned down mm-hmm. back in the 90s uh it was the thing to do and stevie, I'd, I'd... they call it the stevie Ray Vaughan effect right yeah yeah and i call <laughs> bullshit on all that because i um i went to tens used that for forever and a few years back now, I got really bad tendinitis. Um, I, I had a I had a situation where um, somebody tried to pull the whole "you'll never work in this town again" thing. So I said, rather than retaliate, I just went, "I'm just going to say yes to everybody." And I just overplayed, overplayed. It was, and I gave myself tendinitis. And um, I stepped down to eights for a while, and I thought my tone would be terrible. No, nah, no. Nah, I just had to watch my vibrato. I always started turning into Ingvar Malmstein for a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I know. I, you know, Paul Gilbert uses aids, right? You know. Yep. Yep. And and it's and is it's. I mean, I know, and you know, and then Rick Beato, they did that big, like string gauge test, you know, yep. and yeah, and and it's funny because I think that even a lot of those. Players like Jimmy Page and stuff probably in the 70s were using eights mm. and stuff even on the high E, right? And it's pretty thin. Yep. You can tell because he always like his sound is a lot of vibrato and shake to well, it. Definitely was that you know they wasn't using thick strings.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've heard that um, Tony Iommi was using eights tuned down a whole step, and that's I believe it. I mean, yeah. And that's quite a brutal tone. So you know. It, yeah. Just, it's
1: funny um you know, you know, Billy, the pumpkins, he told me because, you know, we, you know, total, obvious, you know, geek out on guitar stuff all the time. And you know, he produced a track one time for Tony Iommi. Wow. And, um, and he said that really the heaviness comes from, you know, he, he almost vibrato's every note, like he has that shake. And I think that a lot of that has to do with using the light strings.
0: Yeah. Right. You know, Because you
1: can't get that type of vibra I mean, with, you know, with the fingers, his fingers and stuff. If he was using thick strings, so yep. Yep. yeah, I think the light strings is is kind of a they're coming back. I think I think there's there's a movement
0: back to lighter strings. <laughs> Thank God for that. Mm-hmm. My, uh, <laughs> my aging fingers are appreciating that. Hey, are you using mm-hmm. wireless? No wireless. No wireless. You use a cable. Yeah, yeah. Either Divine Noise or.
1: Um, Whatever my tech makes me, like, you know, some type of like, because, you know, custom, you know, my techs usually will make like a custom length
0: um, and, cable. Yeah. Do you use like a super long cable for, for Live with the Pumpkins? Not
1: super long. I mean, but I can walk across to James' side of the States. Yeah. So it's probably like 30 feet.
0: 30 yeah. Feet so
1: feet. I go in. Yeah. So I go in and then, so I go in for my guitar and then I actually go into a um, Dunlop Joe Bonamassa wall. Yep. or i actually uh, recently i adam from effetone got me a Morley bad horsey Wah, and so on the last couple shows i used that and i really like that so maybe you know i think that might live on there for a while um cool
0: i go into wah and then i have
1: a jhs buffer
0: i was about to ask with that with such yeah. a, a long cable if you're using a buffer yeah so then i go to the buffer that
1: then that you know which is you know that's a pretty long run probably 30 feet too that goes to my rig which is always off stage and um yeah and then i go into uh helix first
0: and then uh so you keep helix off stage um, yes yeah, yeah so i have it, to use the racks the rack yeah, one helix. okay rack. yep yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. you've got the foot um, controller that's
1: specific with uh, that yep yeah with two Dunlop um expression pedals. Nice. You know, for volume and pitch shifting stuff. Mostly yep. just for volume. I used to use it for, for volume. So. and then um in the in the loop of helix I have one in one loop I have the the Randall, the RM4, but which is now will be the uh Rev generator 120, you know, the preamp. And then I have uh a couple of pedals. <clears throat> I have my old uh, tech, Drew Foppy. You should actually; he'd be great on the show. He's actually, but he's um, shined down is overtaken. You know, has 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 taken him. So um, okay. they're playing more shows than us. But he he's an amazing um, one of the best techs I've ever had the privilege of of working he's Just an extremely talented person can do everything from build guitar pedals, amps. You know, um, he built a like a boost pedal called the Royal preamp. And so I have that in my one loop. I have a even H nine in a loop. And then I also have a, um, electro harmonics, um, send pedal to, that I use, um, to play the string parts on tonight, tonight. on oh, cool. On guitar. Nice. Yeah. And what um, do you use
0: the H nine for?
1: Uh, just different reverbs and delays that I just, I love, love, um, like the Eventide has a very specific sound and tone to their algorithms. Yeah. And I love it. Just I just love it. I mean, I, I wish, I, you know, I think about going and, and maybe hunting down uh, an Ace 3000 just because I want the, the whole thing. But yeah. there, I should have got it because there was a time when the price really went down on them. Now they're like, you know, a lot of people with home studios are, are, are buying rat gear, like, one or two pieces, you know, to, to have like a few, you know, non-plug-in type of things. And I th- really think that there's, um, you know, I, cause I have all the Eventide plugins on my DAW, but the H 3000 plugins still doesn't do all the things that the actual unit does. And I talked to the people at Eventide, they said, it's just the, the amount of, of processing and computation they can't do in, in a plugin yet, you yeah, know, right. the, 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 the the algorithms, you know, in the, in the two thousands were even back then were so powerful that they just can't quite replicate the sounds yet. And so, but I, that's, so I, I, I use the H nine to get like those kind of classic eventide sounds, even though Helix does quite a bit of them, you know, similar things, even has like a certain tonal quality to it that I just love. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, and then, then that goes, you know, so after that, you know, then the helix goes into my power amp, um, which is which was the Mesa Boogie uh, Simo Class two hundred and ninety. But now I go back, and you know, it'll be the rev, just the gen, the head. You know, yeah. so. But it's basic. I just have it, it's a four cable method type yeah. of signal routing. Yeah. And do you
0: run that in stereo? Mono, just mono.
1: mono, because with three guitar players, I mean, there's no no point in being stereo. <laughs> How about when it was when
0: it was just the two of you? Were you stereo then? I have, I,
1: there was one, there was, I have had stereo rigs in the past. like One time when we, in 2015, we did a tour and I used two 78 Marshall JMPs, nice. you know, and I just ran pedals and effects just straight in, you know, into the front, of, you know, set the amp kind of like ACDC type of, you know, and I would just roll down for cleans and then had some drive pedals to get into the high gain. And that was really fun. That was a really fun rig. But when, um, we did, when we were going to do the shiny, no, so bright tour, we decided like, Hey, we really wanted to replicate like the classic material as it was recorded. And so I needed a more pristine clean. So I went back to the RM4 Reagan's so, because I needed to have something that could be really,
0: you know, like, really clean <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so nice. but yeah but
1: that rig that the two marshals
0: i ran in stereo nice one yeah it's one of those things um oh, when i had the the ada and Quadroverb rig back in the 90s mm-hmm. i'd run that in in stereo and oh, once you go stereo it's hard to go back especially if you're uh, the only oh, guitar player I mean, I've, most of the bands i've played in i've been the only guitar player so i, I do have that sonic space
1: yeah no when i sit here at home i always play
0: stereo it's addicting you know what i mean and, it and is, you know
1: isn't it's it? funny because um
0: i'm just i'm just I've been, don't mind me i'm just adjusting my camera it's gone dark here outside sorry <laughs>
1: yeah what i uh you know because you know effect trends as, as certain things come and go and you know for a while you know using chorus was like super taboo, and now choruses, especially on clean guitars, has totally come like it's you know people don't aren't as offend, are not offended by it at all anymore, you know. And um, so using things like in helix, like the you know the tri chorus and things like that is. I just sit, I just sit here, my because I actually you can't see it because this is my studio, in, you know, in front of me here, and so I just sit here playing. <laughs> ping-pong
0: delays and stereo chorus. love it <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's one thing though that um whenever i compare and i've got one just here no matter what processor i get i'll give this thing a spin the old arion chorus cover yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I really want to go just helix or something and, and you know, just hearing you talk, I'm thinking maybe Rack Mount Helix. Same thing with carbon copy delay. One of the artists that I play for, his signature tune is very much like U2 where the guitar's playing off um, off the delay. And I just cannot get a digital unit to get that same sound. Um I've got a carbon copy delay there, the MXR, and it's just like there's something about the way that it goes that I just can't get out of any of the digital. Yeah. 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 Are are you finding that? Are you you like swapping convenience of having a sound that's 90% there um, to have everything at your disposal rather than having, you know, that one killer pedal that just –
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Just because I had, yeah, I had, you know, at one point I just had these ridiculously huge pedal boards and you'd have all these pedals and, you know, the sounds are great, but, you know, and, and, you know, especially like even if they're digital or analog, but especially like analog pedals, but you have like one setting, you know I, I can't in the middle of a show go and like okay i gotta brighten this or darken this and then change this setting and you know what i mean it's like it's kind of like one you know i would have midi switchers and i could you know make presets with different combinations of pedals but you couldn't unless it was a pedal that was fully digital like some of the even eventide like the time factor and the pitch factor i had all of those when they first came out and then or something like the h9 um, you know and now there's quite a few digital pedals you know, you know that are, that are all midi as well so there is programmability but um, w- what is great about helix is that you have complete flexibility of every single parameter on not just on every preset but within snapshots within the preset you know cuz you could have like one preset right say a a high gain distortion sound with some pedals and delay and reverb. But you can um I think have up to eight different snapshots, snapshots within yeah. that, where, where, where the settings are different. And so that's just so useful. That's the you way know? I'm
0: yeah. setting up this helix at the moment. I've just got one, so it's, one like, preset, yeah, like it's, yeah, one preset with all the um effects that I could I could need um and just snapshots of them so that I can have little stab of, 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 a sound, uh, with big tailed reverb and then cut to the dry funk straight away and have that ambience carry yeah, over and, and it just
1: fades away and, you know, trails and it, it it's really wonderful. And, um, um, you know, it's where every single one of these modeling devices is, is like this is, is that even if they do like a really great job of emulating like the sound of 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 a pedal. It's still running through the same analog to digital converters and kind of going through the same stuff, so it, it kind of homogenizes the tone. Whereas each individual pedal is slight will sound you know if you have the actual pedal does sound slightly different you know because you're essentially when you have like a one digital device it's, it's running through the same thing you know, so you lose a little bit of the distinctness, right, of, of having, but, and if that really tweaks with you, I I get it, you know, and there's some things that just don't, um, they just don't, like, sound, so you have to, like, okay, I gotta have this in the loop, you know, yeah. I gotta actually put that, like, you know, like, I, I just miss that even tied sound, so I'm gonna put that. H nine in the loop, so I can really just like the reverse delays on that. Just have us the way they they fade and 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 uh, fade into each other, and the kind of the clipping of them and stuff is very unique to the Eventide thing. And you know, many different delay units have reverse delay, but the way that Even does it is 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 what I just love, and so yeah. like I can't get that anywhere else. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you just, but that's what's great about something like Helix or Access, they they put the loops on there so you can, you know, can have up to like four different, you know, plug it, plug whatever, you can plug the ADA MP1 in there.
0: Yeah, and I've done that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, when Helix, I actually got a Helix rack when it first came out and I did that. I put the ADA into the loop and did a bit of comparison and I liked the ADA so much better than the built-in modeling. But Helix are onto version three now and it's come a long way, I really gotta say. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, so th- yeah it, for sure. The pedals that you've got, are, are they sitting in a in a rack? So you've got a, a small rack? Yeah, in my
1: rack, like the, the yeah, I have them on a tray and they're all just in a rack. Yeah. Nice, nice.
0: Power supply yeah. for them is there you got a preference in power supply? Uh the they're the
1: voodoo labs. Yep.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cool. Pedal power twos and then yeah, yeah. now there's yeah you know for a long time that was all that there really was. You know now there's uh, so many different options for you know pedal pedal power, yeah, you know, but I just kind of, yeah i have so many of those voodoo lab ones from over the years so i just i never need to buy them cool, <laughs> yeah, so, cool. Yeah,
0: so, yeah. Yeah, yeah so i want to ask you about the the new album that you guys have just completed are you are you sure. able to sure. talk about that Be- before i do that if anyone's watching and you have any questions for, for jeff please drop the uh the questions in the um the comments yeah. section i try and Give the the guest my full attention uh, up to a point uh, without being distracted. <laughs> you know, someone did make a
1: nice comment. You know, they said like, luckily in a band, mix no one really hears the difference. It's actually true. You know, well, sometimes when I hear us all playing, like I just don't. I, I think it's like I said, are you gonna really hear like? Is that really a core of delays or is that just the emulation? Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, we're fussy. Is that really a phase 90? You yeah, know what I mean? Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? With, with all the gain and distortion. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brooke that asked that question, he's actually quite a, a gun country guitar player. I've, I've heard the name around town here, so um, mm-hmm. good to see you, Brooke. Um, yeah, I okay, guess, so as I said, folks, if you've got any questions, start dropping them now. But Jeff, uh, the new album, uh, Spill the beans, but is it uh, a, a oh, style yeah. or is work, it
1: still working on it? So still, it's not, still... uh, you know, we're kinda of, we're on you know, it's kind of on the tail end, you know. I mean you can see if you if you follow our Instagram, you know, or somewhere, but you know, um it's kind of more like an I think it's kind of final vocal, like background vocals. So it's like that we're in the, the put it the last layer of okay. the last yep. layer of stuff. Yep. So um, yeah, so it's something that we've been working on, I would say At least about a year you know um and and doing it for the most i mean i guess basically remotely you know um james and i've been working out here in la and then you know sending files and and doing it that way we haven't ever really been in the same room working on it together so that's that um it's fine you know i mean it it would all of course would be better to be in the room and be able to have real time discussions. You know, obviously yep. we're not usually in the room playing together because you know the way records are done, everybody's doing stuff separately. But you do miss having those discussions or having to someone go like, "Yeah, I really like what you're playing, but can you change those last three notes?" Sure, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah can you do it remote? Like you send it, and they're like, "Yeah, it's great, but can you you have to change the end?" And then it's like, "Okay, well that's." okay, and a whole other day, and, like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it slows things down considerably. Dude. And
0: are you going to another studio to, to, to track your parts?
1: I have, I have been only because it's such a big project that I just felt like I needed to um, have I, – I wanted to be able to have someone else engineer. Um, I could certainly engineer myself, but um, for – I felt like, you know, it's a 33-song record. At some point, I just wanted to just – like I wanted to just be able to sit there and play and not have to worry about running the the computer and the file management and like what version am I dealing with and you know that kind of stuff <laughs> so. 33
0: songs is, is this going to be a double record
1: triple triple triple, triple, triple. <laughs> nice nice i don't know how it's going to be released if it's going to be i don't you know individual or not? Um, I think it'll be pro- most likely. I would think you know, it'll, but who know? I mean, it's all this stuff is still totally up in the air. you know. So, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Any any cover songs thrown in there or anything? Or it's all no, 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 no. Thirty three originals. 33 wow, original. wow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, speaking of cover songs, um, I was driving along one one day and I heard this really it, Alice Cooper played one of his Cooper. Covers, I think he calls it, on his on his radio show. I'm listening to this song going, this is cool. It almost sounds like Smashing Pumpkins. And, of course, I did the Shazam thing, and it was the pumpkins doing Clones by Alice Cooper. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, Love it. Yeah, yeah, Do you guys yeah. ever pull out mm-hmm. anything like that live? Oh, we always
1: play covers. We love to play covers live. So yep. all, every tour we end up doing, you know, we end up doing a cover or two. Yeah, for, yeah. Sure. for yeah. sure. yeah. What's, yeah, we haven't played that one recently but um what are some of the last covers we did i mean um we did was it fire and rain you know james taylor really you know, like in a heavier hat. style oh yeah 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 um like i think we're tuned down to maybe c you know wow. super heavy. Yeah. yeah we did that Um we did friday i'm in love um by the cure that james sang well, we did you know in, in the shiny shiny nose right we actually did stairway to heaven whole thing from beginning to end <laughs> wow and it is crazy because it was such a controversial move you know when we were rehearsing for the tour and it was like so you know billy sent out like you know what we did any time that we put together you know to get before a tour starts you know like set lists go around and like hey what do you think of these you know and it's always like a crazy long list and then he's got to be shortened down into a more realistic list and and, um, but Stairway to Heaven was on this, so I'm like, okay, so we'll probably do some crazy, heavy, deconstructed version of Stairway to Heaven. So we show up the first day to rehearsal, and I'm like, so how are we going to play this? And he's like, what do you mean? We're going to play it like the record, like, cool. like that one. <laughs> We're like, like are you serious? <laughs> you know? And so, you know, Jimmy Chamberlain was like, "Oh my God, I don't think I've played this song since I was in seventh grade." Yeah, so, yeah. You know. But you know, because we, we were playing like a very, very long set at the time, like three and a half, hour, three hours, twenty minute set. Whoa! And so that kind of came like right in the middle, and I had to say to you know, again, to Billy's credit, where he has such good insight into these things. It was one of the biggest songs of the night, like the crowd, you know, it's, you know, is it was like that arena arena rock moment that you want to have, like you know, crowd just loved hearing "Stairway to Heaven," you know, every night. And I'd say because it's great because Billy just sang, and so I got to be Jimmy Page and play the solo and stuff. And oh, nice! So being in Mad- so being in Madison Square Garden. And being able to play, be you know, on that stage and get to play the soul in a Stairway to Heaven was 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 you know was pretty pretty uh You know, it was pretty awesome.
0: I bet, I bet you, you must <laughs> pinch, pinch yourself and just go, "No way!" You know, like th- does that still happen? Like you, you were saying. I, I mean, back in the '90s, you know, the whole alternative thing came along, and Pumpkins were at the forefront of that. Do you sometimes pinch yourself when when you have moments like that? Like, I'm playing Madison Square Garden, and I'm in the fucking smashing pumpkins. Is it? Do you still get that that feeling? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There have been a few times. Um, I, you know, there was one era of the band when we did uh, the "Monuments for, for an Elegy" album, and um, we didn't really have a band. It was just Billy and I. You know, we, Mike and Nicole, who were playing with us, weren't in the band, and it was just just the two of us. And so uh, we're in the studio, just demoing out all the songs and through a, you know, a, a discussion, you know, that we're, you know, kind of like, wouldn't it be cool if someone, you know, who, you know, who, who's going to play drums and blah, 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 blah. And then we're like, we came up at the end Like, we got to get Tommy Lee to play on this record. And so, you know, Tommy Lee ended up playing on the record, but he couldn't do shows with us. And, um, through Front and whatnot. We actually had um, the band um, was Mark Sturmer from The Killers was the, our bass player. And then Brad Wilk from Rage Against the Machine was the drummer. And actually we did quite a few, we did all the Soundwave festivals in um, Australia. Yeah, Yep, And that was actually, I think the last time we were there, which was, so it was 2015. Um, and I remember I would walk on stage you know, one of those times I said, you know what, really take this in, because like, like, wow, I'm in a band with, you know, basically Billy Corgan, Brad, Mark, you know, like, how do I get to play with these guys? And that was, that was, I don't know if it was Smashing Pumpkins, you know, the reason we didn't really, you know, it, there's a lot of personalities there, and, you know, a lot of, um, it was, it was, I mean, we ended up playing probably 30, 40 shows together, which was, it was it was really nice you know and it was I think it was best left as a, a short-term thing you know kind of like did you see it and um, but I remember looking and going like wow this is incredible like what a lucky opportunity to be able to do this and it, it was such a pleasure playing with those guys um, it was fun and then um, another one being in I guess we're trying to remember when it was, guess it was after it was must have been early 2018 and you know, we were doing the um what became the shiny no so bright kind of ep lp it's eight songs kind of short for us you know but we did it with rick rubin and so we're at his studio in malibu at shangri-la and i'm looking there and i'm in the you know the tracking room because he rick likes to have the whole band tracking um and um so i'm sitting there and i'm like wow there's you know, and I was playing bass for the tracking sessions because we didn't our uh, we didn't have our bass player there. And so I'm like I'm looking. Billy was on the piano for this song, so I'm playing bass, Billy's on piano. And Jimmy's there, and then Jane. I'm like, I'm like, wow, like I'm in the studio with Smashing Pump. You know what I mean? Like this is the band. You know what I mean? And then, which is at Shangri La, like wow, this is a great one. And then you look through the control room window and you see Rick Rubin there. And you're like, wow, this is this is really cool. Um, and that was just a, uh, what a wonderful experience to, to be able to make that record with him and, and to see, to learn and see how he works and, and, um,
0: you know, be part of
1: that process with him, you know, which is like everybody has, what's it like working with
0: Yeah. Him? That, oh, well, I was about to ask the same thing because yeah. I, man, I hear that he pulls great performances out of people and yeah. definitely the records that he does are incredible.
1: You have a vibe. Yeah. He's got his way of, of doing things and he's, you know, what what is so great about him, you know, is he's not a, a technical producer, you yeah. know, where he's like, are you playing, you know, like, yeah. are you playing a major seven over that court? You know I mean? He, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't get into it like that to him. It's all feel like how, how he emotionally reacts to things and you know, his gauge of over, you know, over, his musical history has shown that he's when the light or when the, when he gets that feeling inside of him, you know, he has a pretty successful track record. So he's trying to push you in a, whatever direction it is to where he feels that thing on the inside. And and what you absolutely get from him is he's just a huge music lover. Yeah, right. He, and- he really loves and knows music really well. So when you go in and you work with him, like I said, it, it's more he's, like you, it's very artistic and musical.
0: Wow! And do you ever feel yeah. intimidated working with him, or is he one of, of those course. guys that that immediately? Yeah, yeah, like
1: when you're, yeah, when you're sitting there and he's like, you know, you're coming up with like overdubs of parts, and you gotta like, you know, he's got he's got the final approval, and he's got to, you're like, okay, Jeff, what ideas do you have for this song, you know? And he's just like, nah, not into not Like that, not into that. You know what I mean? Yeah, you feel yeah, it's very intimidating. Very, you know, very intimidating. But like I said, he's very much, he creates a situation from the second you walk through the door at the studio at Shangri-La to where it's very artist-centric and he wants to put you in the mental space to where you feel like you're going to do the best job that you can. Yeah. So it has a very, you know, know, peaceful, minimalist vibe. Yeah. You know,
0: uh, just talking about being intimidated, I said to uh, my flatmate, because I've been learning a whole bunch of songs for this big show coming up, with these 80s artists, and I said to him, man, I have to have this down so cold because you don't understand if you get spooked at all, you can just completely fall apart. And, um, yeah, it To get intimidated. Have you ever had a situation where where live, you know, something's gone wrong or you've just been around someone and then all of a sudden you just go, Oh, I can't play the guitar. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, um
1: I mean, I remember um a few times where I was like, is must have been twenty twelve we're playing here in LA and uh Eddie Van Halen came to our show. And so he came to our dressing room you know and and he was so so gracious with his time i mean he hung out with family for like 90 minutes or something and just talked to us and we let us ask us all the stupid questions that we had
0: yeah him,
1: yeah you know, you know what i mean like you know like just, just, just you know um but when he walked in i was you know because before the show I, had, I was sitting there playing a the guitar and so i realized after a second i'm like oh he's watching me play and i feel like why am I even like oh, yeah. I gotta put this down? Like I don't wanna play in front of Eddie Van Halen, you So that was like, <laughs> like all of a sudden like, uh, you know, I can't really play that well. Wow. Uh, yeah, but you know, he was he was so like I said, he was he was like most of those people, super gracious and kind. You know, and and like I said, he let us Ask all the questions like, Did you ever see Jimmy Page live? And he was like, Yeah, of course. I went, I, I saw Zeppelin. We're like, Oh my God, what'd you think? He was like, I didn't think it was that great. <laughs> you, know, kind of, you, know, you know." But then you have to remember, you're like, He was Eddie Van Halen. He was like, I'm going to, I'm doing these things that I'm going to break all these rules and I'm going to kind of reinvent rock guitar for what it was in you know the late 70s. And, yeah. um, yeah, it was it was it was you know you realize like he was a, a special being in that way. Cool, you know? um, but you know when we've got to play like we've invited George Lynch has played with us and he was incredible. You know, incredible. Um, he was great. Um, who else? Uli John Roth. We have played with numerous times. You know, and um, you know recently, um, you know I become in because from. Chicago, and but we're still friends, you know, I became friendly with Michelangelo, um, you know, because I, I hit him up, actually, um, through Instagram or something, just about taking some guitar lessons from him, because I was, you know, was working on a lot of that kind of picking, you know, alternate picking, fast alternate making stuff, and I kind of hit some like roadblocks, you know, yep. I'm like, oh, I, you know, like I can get the metric, you know, I can't really, maybe it's just something I'm not holding my pick correctly. Is it yep. something about my technique that's keeping me from, you know, really getting the keys to the Lamborghini, you know what I mean? And so then he said, yeah, sure. Like, you know, just come up, you know, you can come up to my house and we'll play. And so I took a couple lessons from him. And so we just become friends over time. And he's, again, for someone like his talent is he has what he does, he's super humble, super gracious, super um, giving of his knowledge, yep. you, know, he, 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 you know, and so I, he showed me, he's like, oh, he's like, you're fine. He you just needs to just he gave me a couple pointers, tips, you know, and it, it really did. It kind of helped me and, um But so then he was actually out here in L.A. doing something and he does a live stream on his Facebook and stuff, and he asked me to come and hang out with him. And he's like, "Let's play together." And I'm like, oh, "I don't want." To. I was like, "Okay," because you know he's like And so I was really nervous playing, you know, because he's just like, it's like, you know, he's like, woo, woo, woo. and I'm just like, <laughs> with two know, hands, to, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna play just one note, you know what I mean? Um, you know, you're just trying to just not mess up in front of, me, you know. But like yeah. so he's not judgmental in that way at all. He, he's he's really sweet you know but of course when you play in front of really great players um you always you know if you i know I, I still get intimidated of course yeah,
0: yeah 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 it's funny um a friend of mine opened for van halen on the for unlawful carnal knowledge tour uh back in the early 90s and spent quite a, a bit of time hanging out with eddie and he he brought up that he would always be backstage actually just after eddie passed on there was a video getting around of him playing uh an old strat uh backstage somewhere and um and it's fl- and
1: it's, it has he can pull up on it right yeah
0: yeah so, so you've seen the yeah, video I, that's, of, course, of course i've played that guitar man that's my friend's guitar oh, yeah. i've played oh, that oh, guitar yeah. So cool. yeah yeah and he's like he's like wow
1: like i never have a guitar i can pull up on and yeah he's like it stays in tune really well that's exactly <laughs> it. yeah yeah yeah, yeah and it's
0: funny because uh that band the lead singer was married to nuno bettencourt for about 15 years And you know, i got okay. to hang out with nuno when on my 21st birthday of all the things i got drunk with nuno bettencourt on my 21st and i didn't get to play guitar with him or anything like that but i um i remember him saying to me oh, so who who, who are you who are your influences man and I, and I just looked at him and just went um oh. You, (laughs) yeah, yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I know. Um,
2: when we had a night
1: off, um, in Dallas one night, and Generation X was in town, so nice, we went to Generation X, (laughs) (laughs) and it was incredible. Yeah, um, someone there, there was a couple of questions. the, yeah, they asked me who my influences are, so yep. I think that's a good kind of segue, you know, into answering that question. So, of course, I wanted to go big time because by the big influence, you know, Inge, um, uh, you know, even though I can't, I have only more recently can actually learn how to do some of those techniques and, and play some of the kind of the the picking stuff that Inge does, you know. But um, when I was a kid. I mean, it was during his eclipse. Um, as it was just coming out. He was doing an in store, you know, near my house in the suburbs out here in, in L.A. And so I went and um, waited in line for like three hours and got Inves' autograph. And you know, that was like my the closest, you know, back then. It was like you just didn't see these people, so to just to be like in front of them, you know. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so he's, he's, uh, you know, a big influence. And I just been gone down such the thing, Bay rabbit hole, you know, I got him up there just kind of. I saw it, Yeah. My, yep. Looking over my guitars and um, um, yeah, his stuff from Steeler Alcatraz, those early solo records. I mean, it's just, just incredible. You so know, ahead of his time, yeah. hey? like. Um, oh. And, just- you know, one of the. Yeah, like I said, one of the few players that, to come out of the early 80s that I, you know, and, and I could in and, and you, know, you know, it's the internet age. People disagree with anything you say, you know, but I do kind of feel like with him, he probably would have come out as Ingbe Malseen regardless of Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. You know, where I think most other players, whether it's by or Satch or I think really had were impacted you know very heavily by like what eddie did and i think it kind of opened up a whole new paradigm for guitar that those guys very quickly started developing their own thing but i think it kind of i think eddie broke the wall in that dimension for a lot of those people where i think yngwie was kind of on his trajectory which was this kind of european black more uli john Roth you know, but then taking the classical influence and the way he played the types of scales, that mm-hmm. kind of runs, you know, were were you know he didn't need the tapping or, or he wasn't doing hot blues or anything like yeah. that at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean yeah, so yeah. I think he kinda of was doing something and the sound was different, you know. Um so yeah, he's he's phenomenal. But I love like I said, so guys like him by Sash um I was really into Eric Johnson, I said Eric Johnson many times. Yep. You know, in the in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, but then there was guys, you know, like, um, Will Sargent from Echo and the Bunny Men was a big, big influence. Um, uh, Thurston Moore, Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth was really big for me still to this day. Um, who uh, like Kevin Shields, you know, and my bloody Valentine was a big dinosaur junior fan as well. Jay Mascus, you know, um, I really like i said i really was invested in that style of guitar too you know as much even though my personal leanings these days i I really um i probably like more like the heavy the heavy guys yeah yeah, that's (laughs) a very broad broad range of
0: influences man like that yeah but then i
1: spent like three years in chicago through you know I, i i took i studied with a jazz teacher because I wanted to kind of learn more about that kind of playing in harmony, and so then I got really into guys like Kurt Rosenwinkel and and um, you know uh, Pat Metheny and older like Wes Montgomery and Joe Pass and and um, Bill Frisell. You know, is a big. I love Bill Frizzell's playing so much. That name keeps um, popping up, but I'll have to check out some of Bill. Oh, he's he's incredible, and he just actually. More recently, um, he's done these kind of duo albums with uh, a bass player, um, Thomas Morgan, and those records are incredible. I saw him play live in Chicago uh, at a small club with just the two of them, and it was one of the best musical experiences of my life. Yeah. There's another guy, uh, Jonathan Kreisberg, who's an incredible jazz player, and you know, these kind of players, like someone like Kreisberg, because I, I was, I took lessons at this, through this school in Chicago called the Old Town School of Folk, and they did a lot of um, seminars. And so Jonathan Kreisberg came and did quite a few um, seminars. So I got to, you know, talk to him and, and, and you know, he's like, there's these guys where he's roughly the same age as us. And so he grew up loving he got into jazz because he loved Van Halen. And then he read that Eddie Van Halen was into Alan Holdsworth. You know, and so then he was like, Well then Alan Holdsworth said he was into John Coltrane. And so then he got in and then started playing jazz. So even though he plays like he plays a, you know, a vintage 175, he, the way he plays guitar is only if you kinda came up through rock, even though the, he's not a rock player at all, but he's incredibly fast alternate picker and can play these incredibly clean lines. Um, um, yeah, just, just a fantastic, fantastic player. Um, he's got this solo guitar record that he's done where he plays my favorite things, you know, and, um, just solo guitar and it's just incredible. It's just one of the most beautiful things you've ever heard. Um, so I got, you know, a lot of stuff like that, you know, really got into, um, those, that type of playing too. So I, I really try to put no limits on, on what I like, you know, cause I feel like, you know, and it's funny. I had this, this, um, this question, um, or this, when I took lessons from Michelangelo, he was like, why do you want to learn how to like, you know, He's asked me what my desire was into learning to play like faster stuff. I said, well, to me, these are just, they're just textures. You know that kind of fast alternate picking is a sound. Yep. Just like running, you know, a a chorus out fuzz, a fuzz chorus out through a modulated reverb to create this big amp is a texture too. And so, depending on what feeling or emotion you're trying to convey through the music, you know, I want to have these different color palettes available to me. I don't want to have, you know, and so it's just really about especially as i get older it's not like i want to play one style it's like i want to play like what i hear in my head Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: to what to be able as you we all know we're all players to to um play what we hear in our head is sometimes you need technique sometimes you need an effect pedal sometimes you need to learn how to really get into the you know page three that delay to get the kind of the modulations on the repeats that you really want, you know. So it's – it's, but it also may be like, hey, I really need to work on my legato playing, you know. So I spent like the last few years working a lot on alternate picking and playing fast.
0: Have you ever checked out Troy Grady's Cracking the Code series? Of course, of course. Yeah, man, that was an eye-opener for me. That that changed my playing because I was stumbling. It was the things that he was saying, you know, you go to change string and it would just – Full apart for yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 all Incredible. And so then, you know, um, you know, Morrison and I have been working on, because I never was like really like, uh, like a serious like legato player. So I'm like, okay, I spent like the last five years on alternatives pick and to work on some things like legato. And then, you know, even, re- and when I was taking jazz, because my teacher um, studied with Joe DiOrio, who wrote that book, Intervalic Designs, which is, so we worked a lot out of that book, um, Joe Diorio, you know, which is a, such a great book, you know, but one of Joe Diorio's students was Jennifer Batten, yep. you know, and so she does a lot of stuff. So I'm actually, I got it right here on my music that I've been working on. I just got, I don't know if her book, oh, nice. um, nice. Jennifer Ben's ultra intervalic guitar licks, which is basically kind of her taking, you know, the concepts that she learned from Joe Diorio's intervalic designs, yep. you know, um, and playing them to her so, so it's a little more rock fusion y kind of stuff yeah. so um i yeah, yeah cuz yeah so i'm just always looking for ways to how can i expand my vocabulary you know in in that way you
0: yeah. right and That's so and, and
1: studying jazz really helped in that cuz i i really even though i i have been I've been playing guitar for so long i really didn't understand what improvisation was you know i thought like many people like oh when you improvise you're just making up new shit all the time right yeah but but that's not really jazz players don't really do that they have um like they have what you know they call it vocabulary and so what i guess they're licks yep you know yep and like we're having this conversation, we're improvising this conversation, we're not scripted out, right? But yep. I'm not making up words, I'm exactly. not making up sentence structures. Yeah. And that's more like what it is. They have all this thing, all this vocabulary under their fingertips and can kind of do it. So now I'm like, oh, so when I learn and my jazz teacher taught me like this, like, so if you learn a lick, you know, from Joe Dior's Intervalic Designs that works over a, a major chord how can you reframe that to work over a minor chord? How can you work to over a half diminished chord? Because the, the intervals create the, the pattern, the shape, you can now transpose those intervals to different chords and whatnot. So so now when I learn things like this, I know how to apply them in a way that like, oh, even though I learn a lick, I can learn the lick in three or four different ways. You yeah. know what I'm saying? like yeah. that. So it's. Um, and that's something that's been very eye opening too. And 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 going like, oh, it's okay to use a lick more than once. You know, and then you start really studying someone like Eddie Van Halen, there's like certain phrases and patterns that are all over the first oh, four yeah. records. Yeah, yep. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you realize like, oh, that's what people do. I you know, I it's just <laughs> you know what I mean, I thought that like, wow, oh, this guy's just making up new shit all the time, you know. Yeah. And you know, and you start breaking down some licking, but you're like, Oh, he plays that lick. To this day, he's still playing some of those same patterns and stuff because it's yep. just vo- it's the vocabulary that they have, and and that's in whatever is Charlie Parker to John Coltrane to Eddie to you know Alan Holdsworth. This is what people do. So kind of learning that and kind of then going like, okay, now I want to um, expand what my vocabulary is is has been um, part of like kind of the guitar journey now. You awesome. Know? And, and and now even in my rock playing like my chord voicings and and structures is totally different because understanding like learning so many standards you realize like oh like you can modulate all the time. You know you can you can totally you don't have to stay in one key. And so um you it it just like I said it kind of just like broke down a lot of barriers and made you you know it's like you're not so precious with these things and and i think you know another thing that i learned about especially through kind of studying jazz is it's a playful music even though it comes off as being so serious in it and it's so dense and it really is but it's it's it was really you know people over time like going like how can we take this thing and just keep on messing with it messing with it and um and so there's a certain playfulness to um you know to the way that that improvise you know the improvising takes place very poetic you know yeah 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 so i really i said that was you know i was a terrible but you know in in a in in a real sense I, i was a terrible jazz player it's really hard it's really yeah. hard you know even though i got a lot from learning and you know i got a lot from studying it and i still like have dreams of like oh my god like i really want to to um work on it more but it, it's it i you know there's that period for three or four it's all i did i carried you know pumpkins on the bus i always had a you know a big arch top guitar backstage you know um to still only be a, a very mediocre, like barely able to make my way through those changes. Um, Cause it's really a, a, you know, a style of music to like, for me, like, like you know, I'm not that gifted. I have to work really hard to to get stuff. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to practice eight hours a day, seven days a week, just to be mediocre, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so you start going like, wow, I, I've gotten so much from this, but now I should probably focus more on my rock playing, which I actually can use like on stage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing how
0: how you can grab things from different styles like that and then incorporate it into into for rock, sure, and sure, you, you make sure. it your own you thing, that. really, don't you? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely.
0: So, um, when, when it comes to playing on on the Pumpkins records, you, you, you're taking quite a few solos as well y- yourself.
1: Uh, sometimes, I mean, it's on this record, it's hard to say yet. Cause a lot of things haven't been finalized, but yeah. you know, live, you know, Billy and I switch off quite a bit. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. And are you finding that you're incorporating some of these new ideas that you're learning from, from jazz? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. You know, um, but for pumpkins, it's, it's more of a rock thing. You know what I yeah. mean? But it's just like, I think what I learn more than, you know, um, in anything, you know with 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 the jazz mentality is thinking intervals more than scales you know where you become really going like what intervals in this line am i highlighting over this chord yeah which is rock you know we just kind of blow, hey e minor and below you know what i mean And, yeah, and, yeah. and, and but, but players that are really good always know what note they're playing against the chords absolutely but, you know when, when you hear um other you know say like not advanced players that you know and some people learn that intuitively you yeah. know what i mean yeah it doesn't you don't need to know it theoretically intuitively is fine too but yeah for me i was one of those players where like like i'm just playing in this key and if i land on a good note that's rad and if i don't i don't understand why i'm not Man. So it became yeah much more of a thing where i had to be like okay like this run is going to go from the flat seven to the five and that's yeah. going to make this line feel a certain way. So that's something that I've become much more cognizant of, of um, over the last like five years of my
0: life. You know, I, I think I mentioned before that I considered myself a bit of a pentatonic hack uh, for many years where, Hey, we're playing an A minor. Hey, watch me milk this shape down at the fifth fret or whatever. Oh, it's major. Yeah, Let's yeah. move that down three frets. But then yeah, yeah, yeah. I started Uh, really trying to play the chord tones Uh, and that's what yes guys like David Gilmore and Mark Knopfler and stuff I didn't really realize that's what they're doing you could take away the backing and you could hear what they're implying what the chord is and that is my understanding of what jazz is a lot of right
1: Yes, 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 yes. In but, in the the most rudimentary sense, yes. But then people start doing substitutions and stuff, and so yeah. it gets like, you know, taken taken from there. But yes, in the most general sense is you sh- in th- you know you're supposed to always be playing the changes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. I went to a, a guitar clinic recently, um, held by um, the guitar player on The Voice in Australia here, and he was talking about trying to teach how to play around. chords in a rock kind of way and um yeah it's such a big thing all the greats are doing it and it's something i've been working on in my own playing you you you've said a lot of things that you've been working on in your own playing there uh with the alternate picking and and the jazz and everything is there anything that you really don't like about your own playing that you just go oh man i'm terrible at blah 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 Everything. Yeah, everything.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything, you know I mean? I'm going like, Oh, I'm like, oh, I can hear like the, you know, the, I'm rushing there. Or I'm, I'm, I'm lazy there. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I, I don't, it sounds too methodical. It's not, you know, fluid. Of course, I'm always, so always trying to, um, to work on those things, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just, and, you know, and it's, I mean, I don't think as a player, it's really even worth it to feel like, hey, I've arrived. I think we're always in a in a um, in a process of becoming you know, at least for me, like to me, I just feel like you know um you know what what we can do on this instrument is really limitless. I know i'm gonna I'm gonna die before I run out of things to work on yeah you know on this instrument and I, and I like that. I really feel like that's that's such a beautiful thing about it and
0: yeah. Yeah, Maybe makes, I should get into some jazz playing, man, because it seems to be something that, as people get older, like a good friend of mine is one of the most recorded guitarists in history, uh, L.A. session musician from back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, but lives out here now. And he finds himself playing a lot of jazz, and it's. I think I could learn a lot from that.
1: You can. No, it, it is. Like I said, it's 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 a rabbit hole that you can get hard to get out of, and it's – and but – um it's limitless it's just so many great players and now you know it, it, you just see it like you am like oh my god there's all these kids out there that um you know that are so young that can just bl- like so can blow over these super sophisticated changes and i'm like you know i think as as an older person it's always harder for your mind to train your mind to work a different way um, it
0: is isn't it trying to to yeah, learn new things yeah, yeah it's hard to it retain is, it is. it's like you know
1: i've been playing guitar for so many years now doing it you know so you can only make very small you know like, like little changes is 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 even tough <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there was a
0: great question that just came up there um I'll, I'll let you go soon because it, time is getting away on us. And I heard I heard the yeah, dog yeah, barking yeah, before. Yeah. The dog's going, Dad, food time. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It's the idea. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes, you know, what I, is your fall back on lick if you're jamming and you want to do a flashy thing? Everyone has a has that lick. Have you got a couple of? Oh, I need to impress yeah, people. I Here's do this do like, thing now. I, a,
1: I do like this kind of. It's like a, from a Paul Gilbert, you know. From yeah. His, uh, Intense rock, you know, and it, it's just basically like it's a, you know, a six note kind of phrase, you know, so it'd be like if you're starting, you know, in E minor, if you're starting like a, 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 a here on the G string, you just go, you know, you can just, you know, I know I the do one. That. that's like kind of my, yeah, that's like one of my, I like to use that a lot if I want to do something like, you know, I mean, I can play it really fast and stuff because I work so that's one of my go-to, yeah. And it, and it, again, but it's a, it's just like a pattern that you can move to, like you know, like okay, like I can go from that note to that note there.
0: Yeah. You know, yep.
1: it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can play whatever it is as a sextuplets or as sixteenth um, notes.
0: Yep, yep. My thing yeah. is I can do the Eddie Van Halen tremolo picking thing, the uh, uh-huh. and it's all about holding it in your middle finger. So if i in a situation, it's like, oh, okay, I need to pull something out now. No, I'm not warmed up at all, but I got to, and this isn't my choice of guitar, but I don't know if you can oh, hear yeah, that. you can do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah,
2: yeah.
0: When I had uh, Troy Grady on uh, from cracking the code, I, I did a bit of that and he just, he actually mapped out, I had a metronome there and he worked out what tempo it was that I was playing at and was saying, man, if you could learn to do this and gave me some tips on incorporating that into just straight out speed playing, but I <laughs> haven't had the time yeah, to, to dedicate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Plus, yeah. I'd have to go back and watch the interview to find it. And I don't watch myself. That would absolutely. No,
1: it's funny because, you know, where he probably learned that from is Michelangelo because that's yep. my sister, cause he showed me how fast can you tremolo pick? Yep. And he was like, okay. He's like, then you can play super fast.
0: Yep. He's
1: just yeah. got to get the left hand. He's like, you know, I think he must have learned that from Michael. Yes. I think so. I think so. Man, Mike's somebody yeah, that I've been yeah. trying to
0: get on here for a while. I keep dropping messages on his Facebook just when he puts posts like, hey, if you want to come on. But he never gets back to me. Um, okay. There was one more question. Yeah. There was one sorry, more question sorry. there that uh, I wanted to ask, and that was from Taylor315. And he just wanted to know if um, – any of your signature your signature Yamahas are going to be available to the public?
2: Um
0: maybe. Maybe. So <laughs> if I was to contact yeah. Yamaha and said, I want a Jeff Schroeder uh, signature yeah, guitar, yeah. no, they- I think
1: that it's, you know, obviously less me, and I think that there um, is a I think part of the reason that we've gone down this road, you know, they don't Yamaha is it, it you know, I think that when they at their custom shop when they decide to make things, you know, they're not gonna make me a a crazy explorer flying V kind of crazy, you know what I mean? Because they don't make anything like that. I think when they make something like this, the idea is to see, like, let's put some R&D into this type of guitar and let's put it out there in the world and see what the reaction has been. And always people, when they see this, there's like a certain demographic that's like, yes, we would love to have a Pacifica like that. So I think that there there is interest. Um but what's great about Yamaha is they're not a um they're a very um like they really think things through. They don't jump on things in 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 a way. And I and I appreciate that because if they do something they always do it right and they really make sure that the design is good. So even if they're making like a Pacifica, you know, like say like the top end Pacifica, which is maybe in the US I could You know, a seven hundred, eight hundred dollar guitar. They play phenomenal. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I've had, I'm I'm like just shocked. Like, you know, because but they, that's because they put the R and years and years of R and D before that guitar comes out. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, like, I feel like I would be totally happy if they wanted to. Not, 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 not because I, I, I don't care of you know I don't even think about things like a signature guitar or anything like it just doesn't mean anything to me you know what I mean I just yeah. think that like I'm part of this community of guitar players that likes these types of things and so if I can help bring that to the Yamaha family again because they haven't made anything like this in a while um I think that would be great that's that's more how I see it and um and so you know we'll see
0: Awesome. Jeff, it's been great talking to you, man. i got to say, out of all the guests that I've had on here, and I've had 80-odd 80, 80 episodes or something now, you're probably the most uh, like-minded guest I've had and parallels in career paths and stuff so it's been yeah. great to talk to you i can talk to you for hours more but um i know yeah well let's do it again we can, can always do it again we'd love yeah. to Yeah. would love to yeah yeah, yeah. And, and
1: anytime you want yeah and
0: you know mate you're, obviously you're, i can geek out about this stuff yeah yeah, hours, yeah yeah and really you're of it. the uh the right vintage to understand why layman at a joke that i'm about to do but if we ever started a band together we could call it ricky schroeder <laughs> I
1: was such a huge fan of Silver Spoons, right? Or was it Silver Spoons, right? It
0: was, yeah. Was but his, even as a kid, I can child. remember being a little kid and and going to the movies, and when he was a child actor, and um, yeah, he was the only famous person yeah. I knew that was a ricky. You know, I'm I'm a ricky, and um, yeah, 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 yeah. It really really stuck. So um, yeah, thank you so great, much for your great. time, Jeff. I've got my magic button that I'm going to grab over here to hit the end screen, and it goes something like this. Oh, hang on, hang on, I'll get my studio audience. Thank you to Jeff. You didn't know there's all people out there. Did you? Yeah, I can see him. Magic I can button. see button. <laughs> all right. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Like, subscribe, all that kind of thing. I never say any of that stuff and you know, nobody watches my stuff. Nobody watches my stuff. Um, uh, but mm-hmm. I've I'm amassing a ripper back catalog of guests. I reckon I've got some of the you best have an incredible catalog of guests. That's, you I know, do. It's funny
1: because I always look at that. You know, sometimes I'm like, wow, this, you know, if all those people have been dead. I'm totally happy to
0: go. And on. that's what it's been. It's been a, a thing of, um, just approaching people and showing them the back catalog and occasionally managers are like, well, how many views are you getting and stuff? And I'm just like, well, this isn't going to work. Is it? You're talking figures actually watch it and see how relaxed and the the guests are and um, and it's a matter of time before the right person shares it or um and and no, gets them it's, it's about
1: it. and it's about being part of a, a community and, and community is what this is all about. It's about, you know, just sharing this information and, and finding like minded people and you, you know, and one thing is this, you never know. It doesn't it's not about the numbers, it's just about the right people.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. you know
1: sometimes the right person will come across something and then you know, something will be born out of it. Who knows? Yeah. Or someone gets the right piece of information, like, oh my gosh, that's where I needed to take my plane or whatever, my gear choice somewhere. So yeah. it's all good. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was lucky Quality, enough.
0: Not quantity. That's really is important to me. I was lucky enough to go to a, a YouTube event in Germany a couple of years ago, 42 Gear Street. I hung out with 15 of the world's top guitar YouTubers and they all had the similar story where they're saying they, they were doing it and thinking nobody cares. I'm making these videos and, and they pretty much got to a point where they gave up and they all said an old video of mine, somebody picked up on shared it, went viral and Holy hell it all happened all of a sudden. So it's one of those yeah, just you just never keep, know. keep doing this and making those connections and you never know. So once again, yeah, plus it's just, I enjoy
1: it. like I said, I just enjoyed the talk. So even if it just was just talking in the fact that there's an audience, you know, It's
0: just a bonus. Yeah. You know, that's why I use this particular software is you can't see anything. I I, I can see that you're watching the the chat room. uh, Oh, yeah, I can uh, see YouTube open there. But um, I set this up particularly so that the guests can't see all this thing is me and that way we're just having a chat. You're not seeing what's being broadcast, et cetera. So I have been a, a, a guest on other people's podcasts where I can see what's being broadcast and when they cut the screen to just, me, I'll be talking, and then I'm presented with this big picture of myself talking, and I'm like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, 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 look at that sit yeah. on my nose, or and so yeah, you know, I specifically, I was a beta beta tester on uh, on this particular software when they incorporated their own chat, to, and I said, you need oh, to oh, have yeah. this, you need to have this so that the guests can't see, and I think it, it works, but I'm, I'm rambling on now. I've got to hit that end screen button, which is right here, and it goes something like this. Thanks again, Jeff.
1: Okay, bye!